Welcome back, everybody, to yet another edition of Entertainment Evolved. We are back in the studio after six long weeks. Uh, it was quite a hiatus, but all sorts of cool things happened. And we are now back right here today. We're talking about something near and dear to my heart. First off, I want to welcome back to the show. He is the superhero homie supreme. He's right here from the Superhero Homies podcast. Welcome back, Ace. Well, thank you for having me back on. This is uh, an episode I've been curious about, especially since you brought it up a few weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to uh, get into some of this stuff. Yeah, man, absolutely. And also, uh, this guy right here, when it comes to the shield, uh, there is no uh, better subject matter expert than this man right here. Welcome back to the show. Right right here from Suplexes and Microphones, the homie Joe. Thank you so much. So, we're talking about the shield today. I didn't want to bring an item down from the shelves just because... Uh, it's been a minute. I'm in the process of moving some stuff around. We got a couple of little additions here, but Joe actually brought a little show and tell himself. Is that I right? I did. You know, I never come empty-handed. That's true. We've had playing card, uh, trading cards. Trading cards. We've had. I think I gave you a Black comic. Panther figure, a yep. signed comic. Yep. Um, some other things. This is going to surprise you guys. Okay. Today, especially coming from me, what I have for each of you. To take home for your own pleasure and enjoyment is official Benny sauce. What? Hot sauce. You guys did the hot ones challenge, and I was there to host. You know I'm not much for hot sauce, so let me explain what this is about real quick. This is made in Charlotte, North Carolina. Is this going to kill me? (laughs) (laughs) Out of Atlanta, Georgia, though. Oh, okay. So, uh, when I did a little side gig during a certain golf tournament that occurs nearby very nearby from our current location uh i met this chef and his name is benny and benny makes his own sauce and this guy to say he was impressive with his craft is understatement of the year have you tried this i have and no, you no. liked it i like it you did not try that I, I like it i actually surprised him the other night at buffalo wild wings i tried he said this is gonna this is gonna kill you and i tried i'm like no it's great he did it with some kind of dip and i said don't try this brother yeah in any circumstances but yeah. he tried it anyway. so wow. i've given these out uh to a few people as gifts and they've cooked with them and said it was excellent um but again this is someone i personally know i actually texted him on the way here and asked if he mind if i plugged it and he said no that'd be great thank you so much oh, hell yeah. he's He's uh, near Atlanta, Georgia. If you go to BennyThings.com, B-E-N-N-Y, Things.com, you can actually order your own bottle. Or maybe if you want to have the money to hire a private chef, go for it. You will not be disappointed. He has cooked for, like, legit celebrities and big events and things like that. And, you know, always impresses and is always invited back so then you know. He's legitimate. Well, we're illegitimate celebrities, so he could come and cook for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We were talking about your setup here, so just let him handle it. That's true. Just let him handle yeah. it. Yeah. But, yeah, if you guys want to check that out, but those are yours to take home and enjoy. That is very cool. Thank you for the gift. And uh, we are going to probably do another Podcast Assembled Hot Ones Challenge at some point. I heard a rumor about that, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, rumor becomes myth, and myth becomes legend and all that. So uh, yeah, that, that is such a high endorsement coming from you of all people. Like, I don't know if you homies understand this, but from what I can understand, Joe's tolerance for kind of this stuff is normally non-existent. So the fact that you like it speaks volumes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. For sure. I'm over here kind of flabbergasted. I, I mean, I'm not saying I would drink the bottle. Well, right. No, uh, neither would I. Yeah. But try with some, you know, 
some meats or something that you want to cook it up or just whatever. I think you guys will like it. Oh, yeah. And again, it's coming from some I personally know, and he's he's a good dude. And he's and again, he's excellent chef. Oh well, we gonna we gonna figure it out. We gonna, excellent. We gonna put it through the ring. We gonna see. We gonna see. <laughs> you gonna learn today. Uh, that being said, man, thank you for that again. We're here to talk about some shield today. Absolutely. So we're gonna be. I'm not necessarily calling this a review of the shield because, well, at this point, the 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 content we're reviewing today is over ten years old. Um, we are going to be talking about the uh, now infamous FX TV show, The Shield. We're talking about the first four seasons. There are seven seasons total. We're only going to be covering the first four here today. Um, so we're going to do a little spoiler-free bit here at the beginning. And then at a certain point, I'm going to say, look, full spoilers from here on. When I say that, we're only talking about the first four seasons. We're not going to have any spoilers today from seasons five, six, or seven. The main reason for that <laughs> is because Aesir has not seen them. <laughs> That's right. So he actually has been watching this show for the very first time. So you have two kind of grizzled veterans here who have seen the show like a million times. Uh, and I've actually, we both, uh, Joe recently watched back through the entire show. Right. I watched through the first four seasons, and I'm on season five right now uh, pretty recently. And then you're, you're watching it for the first time. So we have all these different perspectives on the show. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk about. So uh, kind of just a spoiler-free intro to like what the show is about. Um, Ace, having you know, you, you just started watching the show like three weeks ago. Yeah. Like, how would you describe <laughs> it based on the first four seasons to – to, to somebody who's never seen the show before. So, first of all, I would say that in a good way, this show subverts expectations. And uh, what I mean by that is I was aware of this show's existence. But, you know, you go back to 2002 era when this show came out. And from my perspective at that time, just based off of commercials or TV ad spots or what have you, I thought it was just another police procedural. Right. And especially in the 2002 era, there were tons of those, and there's still tons of those today. Yeah. Uh, but this show is not a typical police procedural at all. This is not your NCIS or uh, Law and Order or any of that. Uh, this is something that is, it, it is much more akin to like a, a perfect marriage of of a police procedural, but mixed in with like, the Wire and HBO quality, at least in terms of writing and and depth. So it gives me a lot to chew on. Whereas with a lot of these typical police procedurals, I watch those and immediately get bored. It's just kind of a flavor of the week type scenario. Whereas with this show, uh, it has such a, a unique kind of overarching feel to it. And... Each episode is kind of its own thing in a microcosm, but it also builds upon something greater. And so that's also a lot of fun for me to see. Really fun and unique characters. I can't wait to get into some of them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, overall, this has been a, a really, really positive experience. And, yeah, I'm surprised I haven't seen this show yet myself. Yeah, that that's a great way to describe it, I think, from you just there. Like, um and we, when we talk about some specific arcs in a minute, we're we're gonna kind of cover that. Where like this show does such a good thing, good job of like if you sit down and watch an episode, let's say you watch an episode in the middle of season three, 
you just it, you're somewhere and it just happens to be on. You could watch that single episode and enjoy it, but also there's like storylines within the season, and then there's also storylines that last through multiple seasons or through the entire show, mm-hmm. and they do such a good job of layering that. So, uh, Joe, uh, same question to you, man. What? Uh, how would you kind of describe this to somebody who's never seen it? And I'm sure this will be easy for you because I feel like you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Most people that I know have seen The Wire. And so that's the first thing. They, is it like The Wire? And, you know, yes and no. I feel like it's better than The Wire, not that The Wire is bad at all. Right. Um, I will say this with my background. The Wire is a lot closer to day-to-day law enforcement operations as opposed to this wild ride that you're on in every episode uh, i hope so well, yeah maybe I <laughs> yeah so you know i i get the i say it's like the wire but better you're well we were a little more eloquent than than that with your description of the marriage of three different things but uh yeah yeah i mean i would say that it's much easier to watch the wire first and then watch the shield because like like I did and you did too. Like if you've seen the shield already and you try to watch the wire, you're like, When is something gonna fucking happen? Exactly. Not that I don't like the wire. I think the wire is an amazing show. But like coming from the shield, going mm-hmm. into the wire, and you hear people say, Oh, this is the best police show ever, you're like, Okay, because like really for the wire, it's probably middle to end of season two before it is it really really gets going and then each season they kind of take you kind of one more layer deeper whereas with this show i feel like in the first episode they're like this is what's happening boom and they hit the ground running from there absolutely the pacing i think is is much more i'm not gonna say it's better necessarily but it's much more of a like i'm gonna grab a new viewer's attention you know yeah yeah and and you're right if if you watch The Shield before you watch The Wire, you might get bored out of your mind waiting for something to happen in The Wire. Yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying there. Yeah, because, like, I almost didn't finish The Wire the first time because I was just like, I'm bored out of my damn mind here. Like, yep. But, uh, you know, The Wire is not built the way that this show is built. It's not constructed right. that way. Um, I think that's going to kind of... Just be our little spoiler-free intro. I don't want to spend a lot of time on a a spoiler-free section where we're kind of tiptoeing around for a show that's been off the air for over a decade. (laughs) Uh, So, if you have not seen this show, I would invite you to go watch it. Um, It's on... Is it Hulu that it's on? It would have to be on Hulu if it's an FX show. Right, yeah. So, uh, it's on Hulu. Um, It's also... uh, The Blu-ray collection is out. I have that. That's how you're watching it. I currently have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It normally would be sitting on the shelf right here, um, but uh, its spot is currently occupied, and it will return to the shelves once you're done watching the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I waited a long time for those Blu-rays to come out. Um, I highly recommend it. It's a great package. Um, this is my first time watching back through the show in widescreen. It originally didn't air that way. Uh, it originally aired in the old 4x3 mm. format. You got the bars on the side. Um, so you didn't get the full frame. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to go into spoilers here. So you've been warned. If you haven't seen the show, go watch it. Uh, if you watch the first episode and don't immediately turn on the second episode, this show might not be for you. Right. 
Uh, but it's one of those. And I tell people the same thing about like Game of Thrones. Back when I used to recommend that people watch Game of Thrones, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, just watch the first episode. And if you don't immediately cut on the second one, then it ain't for you. Uh, now I just don't tell people to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but I do highly recommend this show to anybody. So go watch it. However, if you've seen the show, or especially if you've just seen the first four seasons, welcome. Uh, pull up a seat. Uh, we are only going to talk about seasons one, two, three, and four. Good. At the end, we are going to do. I'm going to get some speculation from you on what is going to happen next, which will be very interesting, I think. <laughs> so, let's talk about some characters here before we go into specific season stuff. There's a lot of people that I uh, kind of put down here just to kind of reference back to, but let's talk about the leading man here. Let's talk about Michael Chiklis. In easily, I think, his most iconic role he's ever been in, the main character here, Victor Samuel Mackey. Ace, what are you thinking about uh, about Michael Tickless' performance here? So I was actually thinking about all of these characters just the other day uh, because I realized, oh, man, I watched four seasons of television in like, you know, two or three weeks. And... Uh, it was interesting because some characters, I, I really have got to see them grow or, or I should say change and, and kind of uh, gradually evolve into different characters than who they were in the beginning. I think the cool thing about Vic is that he is, he for me at least, he's, the, he's essentially the same character in season four as he is in season one. It's just that he's such a complex character from the start that that's okay. Right. And uh, he's the character that uh, you uh, you kind of hate to love sometimes. And and even when he's <laughs> even when he's on some bullshit, you still <laughs> want him to find a way to 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 skate by. Yeah. Uh, it worries me that people like Joe watch this show. Right, yeah. Um, uh, I have a friend of mine who has been watching this show with me for a long-ass time, and we always joke that, like, no one should be allowed anywhere near law enforcement if they've seen this show. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, man. I mean, yeah, I I, I got to agree. I think I think that Vic is he, – he, he's the original Walter White, right, where it's mm. like you know he's fucking up. He's doing – Things that are morally wrong, but yet you still want him to succeed, um, and and that's hard to do. It, and and the the thing about the the difference between the two, and the reason I think that Vic is, I'm not going to say a better character than Walt, but I think an even more complex character is because he shoots a police officer in the face in the first episode, and still I think. At this point in the show, most people would describe him as, like, morally gray. <laughs> and I think that's really hard to pull off. Uh, it, it's, it's, Walter White was a very slow descent. Like, with mm -hmm. Walt, it's like, oh, man, he's got cancer. Oh, he, you know, uh, well, he's got to come up with a way to pay for these medical bills. Oh, okay, well, he's he's good chemist. Uh he probably shouldn't be selling meth, but you got to do what you got to do. I mean, and then with Walt, it was a very slow thing where one day you were watching like season three of Breaking Bad and you were like, no, that's that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. Like we've gone off the deep end here. Whereas with Vic, it's just like, hey, this guy is Vic Mackey. And then boom, and you see him murder Terry Crowley in the first episode. And then it just all kind of like 
cascades from there. And I think that's so much harder to pull off from a writing perspective where it's just like this guy committed cold-blooded fucking murder in the first episode. So I think the, the one thing I have to say about that is, yeah, seeing him kill a fellow police officer who, by the way, innocent guy, <laughs> we're being <laughs> yeah. completely honest here, like, at least for me, well, seeing, seeing that... Well, stitches. <laughs> stitches ain't, ain't going to fix that. <laughs> but, but seeing Vic do that for me, like... He started off for me as morally gray, and then he took a huge dip, and then he worked his way back up to morally gray for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, like, it wasn't like he shot somebody in the face who was innocent, and I was like, he still got some good qualities. For me, it was like, ah, <laughs> I don't know about this guy at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, he had to work his way back up, and and uh, I was really trying to separate, not, not to get into uh, any other characters right now, but I was trying to separate you know my 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 feelings versus my my logical side of my brain when i was like well vic is absolutely corrupt dirty he's murderous uh and at the same time i was like but man ace of Vader, i just don't like him like <laughs> and it was like at this point i'm like ace of Vader's done nothing wrong and he's actually trying to do the right thing but i'm like the feelings side of me is like I still want to see what this Vic guy has to do, has to do next, and he can't get shut down now. So, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, like it is de- definitely hard to separate those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, uh, what you think about Vic Mackey here? So Aceveda says Mackey is Al Capone with a badge, and do you remember what the response was? Al Capone. Yeah rose up because he gave people what, what they, they wanted. wanted. Oh, yeah. There's the dilemma. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Is he cleaning up the streets? Does he not save a baby in, like, episode three or four of this first season? You yeah. know, I mean, there's there's tons of good that comes from his work, whether you like it or not. And then the comparison, the compare and contrast with Aceveda, he just seems sneaky. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I mean, is Vic sneaking around? Yeah, but you know what Vic is. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, Vic isn't necessarily ambitious. Like, obviously, he likes the strike team detail. But I think if, like, given the opportunity, if nobody messed with him, he would be fine with doing that for the rest of his career. Yes. Um, you know, he only ever tries to, to do something else because he wants to get out, out from under Aceveda's thumb. Right. Um, in Vic's mind, he is the one person who will do what it takes, right? Like, which is very common amongst villains. Amongst villains, you yeah. Know, uh, that's I'll the bear the burden. That's yeah. the Thanos doctrine. It's like I'm the only one who's willing to bear this burden and right. do what it takes. Uh, and in his mind, that's that's what he's doing. You know, all these other cops out there that are playing by the rules in Vic's mind, a lot of the rules are, the, are there to protect criminals and that's what they do. And you know, it, that's the other thing too, is like in the first episode, does he shoot a cop in the face? Yeah. But he also saves a little girl from a fucking evil pedophile dentist. And I don't know why dentist makes that so much worse, but it, it does for whatever reason. <laughs> Uh, he sounds like a uh, like a Five Nights at Freddy's video game boss or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, if Vic had not done what he did, it's very possible that that little girl would not have lived. Well, 
let's talk about the one time Aceveda knows what he has in Vic. Right. He says, come in here and interrogate this guy yeah. because Claudette ain't getting it done. Right. Yeah. I know what he's capable of. So I'm going to utilize that to do the right thing, to do something good. And it's not the only time that no, Aceveda does absolutely that. not. Aceveda <laughs> is very quick to use Vic when he when he needs something. Yes. Well, is is Commissioner Gordon going to get a, a cup of coffee while Batman does the interrogation? You know, like this isn't the the legal procedural way to do this, but this is the way that gets results. All right, yeah. if y'all gonna bring up Batman stuff, I'm leaving. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you uh, might as well go ahead and leave. You might as well go. <laughs> y'all got a plan? This man only knows. <laughs> yeah. Like he he only knows how to compare and contrast people to Bruce Wayne. He doesn't really know. That's the character spectrum. All right. Well, if I hear it's because he's Vic Mackey. <laughs> <laughs> that might get said. Yeah, that, oh boy, it's a possibility here. I heard that a few times recently. <laughs> they got they hit me back with that shit during the Flash review, though. <laughs> they were like, "Well, he's Batman." I was like, "Fuck, yep. okay, yeah." There's there's a rebound coming. <laughs> I heard it. By the way, uh, if you have or have not seen the uh, new Flash movie, we just recently reviewed it over on Superior Homies, and you can also get an awesome preview. Well. And awesome, uh, some awesome coverage and explanation of the road to Flashpoint. You just came out with that episode as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff there about uh, good old Flashpoint. Uh, speaking of which, I bet Vic or, or some of these other characters probably wish they could uh, use the Speed Force to go back in time to undo some of the bullshit that happens in this show. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, you only knew. <laughs> <laughs> Also, on that note, uh, just some stuff coming up on this show well, and on yours. Uh, we're going to be reviewing White Sand over on your show, which I've been that's – that's been a thing we've been talking about forever. Yes. It's really going to happen. Uh, and then uh, next week, right, uh, right here in the studio, we are going to go, unfortunately, watch Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And we are going to review that. So. You know, I've uh, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but this is what I'm doing. I'm going back and I'm rewatching all the other indie movies leading up to the release of Indie Five. It's probably not the best thing to do, but well, go. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's not anything to do, uh, and I'm sorry, listeners and viewers. Uh, I love that doing this, but there's nothing that would get me to watch Crystal Skull again. Uh, <laughs> so- confession i've never actually seen it all the way through oh okay yeah. well you're about to watch two shitty indiana jones movies <laughs> yeah so let me ask you ace what's uh-huh. your favorite indiana jones movie I, I, I know temple of doom is is uh, a favorite amongst many i gotta go with raiders of the lost ark okay that's acceptable there's only two acceptable answers to that question What's yours? Yeah, so growing up, it was Temple of Doom, but now I think it's probably Raiders. Oh, see, it's Last Crusade for me, hands down, no exceptions. Really? Yeah, but I I love Raiders also, but Last Crusade is my favorite. Um, Did you know Temple of Doom happens chronologically before Raiders? I was like three days ago years old when I found out. (laughs) I feel like I've heard that. that? I feel like I've heard that. Yeah, like that. I found that out like last week. And was like, what, what? the fuck? Anyway, we're off on a huge yeah. yeah. tangent. Sorry. Now. Yeah, yeah. Let, we'll let the room simmer with that. All right. Um, going down the list. So we got we got Vic Mackey, and we have his right hand man. We have Shane Vendrell. Um, I'm gonna let Joe talk about Shane Vendrell first. Uh, based on the first four seasons, 
Well, how would you describe Shane Mandrell? What and 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 do you, and how how would you think how do you think Walt, Walton Goggins does in the role here? Well, Walton Goggins is good in anything, but uh, Shane Vendrell, as you may have heard, is my favorite character on the show. I thought you were joking at first. I was not. You were not. In the text message, I was not, and sitting here in front of you, I am not. <laughs> Shane Vendrell is my favorite character. If it wasn't for Shane, the show wouldn't be nearly as fun because they wouldn't have as many problems as they do. But... I just, he's just fun to watch. What, what's the issue, guys? Ace, I'm going to let you respond to this one before I say some shit that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> okay. So, if you make Vin Mackey look like a super genius and a morally coherent person... <laughs> Then you may need to reevaluate yourself. That's that's Shane. Shane is he, he's he's like the uh, I don't know, man. You you know how how they say if you were to make a clone and that clone were to make a clone and keep going, that the clones would get they would be just like you but dumber over time, watered down. That's Shane. He's like twelve clones down the line. Kind of emulating uh, uh, Vic, but he's just not quite there. And so he he does things that he thinks would be something smart that maybe Vic would do, because you can tell there's an admiration there. But at the same time, he does something so dumb so often. And at first, it's little things, right? Well, not little things, but in comparison, <laughs> little things that I'm like, okay, I can I can give him that one, and I can overlook that as far as this show goes. Like uh, him leaving uh, the the bricks of cocaine and and the rope truck, and it gets stolen. <laughs> he went to see a girl. And that that's not up his case. And she oh, was hold like on. a three. Have you not seen Goodwill Hunting? Oh, what about Goodwill Hunting? What's the theme at the end? Sorry, I got about I got to see about a girl. I'm giving up on these great dreams. I'm putting this to the side. Yeah, I mean. Uh, <laughs> If if Matt Damon had two bricks of coke, <laughs> yeah, then, then that would not be the move. Yeah, uh, I think like uh, felony possession with intent to distribute uh, is probably a little more serious than you guys are getting into details. And that girl wasn't; she was not even cute. Well, that came up. I, I want to say it did. It did. Uh, Lemansky might have even said yeah. she's not even, she's hot. not even hot. But that see, it doesn't matter, guys. Y'all y'all are focused on details. Okay. Here's the thing. I have something I know I have to do. Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. knew I've got to utilize my talents and make something of myself. Shane knew I got to get this cocaine <laughs> hidden immediately. Both of them chose an alternate route for a young lady. Yeah, but I, Shane was just way more dumb. And and yeah, it is uh, since since you want us to uh, correlate everything to Batman, you know that oh, scene no. in Batman <laughs> Forever where like Robin takes the Batmobile out and just decides to fight a random glowing street gang. That's this what to do. Shane. That is Shane throughout the entire show. He's like, I'm fucking. I'm just as good as Batman. Mm-hmm. I'm just as good as Vic, and I'm gonna go off and do my own thing. It, we especially see that later in season four, where you know he's kind of like. 
flown out of the nest or whatever, and you see just how fucking like if Shane were to be left to his own devices, just how absolutely off the rails. It took him no time at all to just be basically just about end up in fucking prison. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean again, not to jump around here, but it, it literally gets to the point, right, where where Vic is looking out for Shane, sure because they're they're friends, but let's be honest, it's probably primarily because if Shane fucks up, then they all get they all go down. Yeah, because the only <laughs> thing Shane's got to trade yeah. is them. Yeah. And he has enough shit on all of them. I mean, you mm-hmm. know. So let's talk about. Uh, we'll, we'll spend a little less time on these because, like, uh, uh, you know, at, at least in these first four seasons, like. Lim, uh, the next guy, Curtis Lemansky, Lim doesn't get a lot of screen time in the first, I think, maybe season and a half. Yeah, it's really like season three and four when he really starts to... And then for Ronnie, like, up until he gets his face burned off, you really don't even know who he is. Yeah. He's got, like, four lines before that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what do you think about Lim and Ronnie here, Ace? Uh, I, I really like Lim. And uh, I'm glad that there's a character like him on the team because there needs to be that kind of balance, right? And The anti-Shane. Yeah, the anti-Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who who says, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't do this because of X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and, and Shane is normally like, shut up. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's hilariously frustrating to watch sometimes. Maybe we shouldn't rob the Armenian mob. <laughs> right. The, the people who cut off feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, that was Vic's idea, by the way. Okay, you know what? That was Vic's idea, but I think that if if a Shane isn't there to hype you up, then maybe Lim can, can kind of help you see things from all angles, you know? Also, if there's no Shane, maybe they just straight up get away with it and don't get tied <laughs> up in all the shit they get tied up in afterwards as a result of them. Oh, yeah, that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, like like uh, him, what was it, uh, buying Mara Alexis and shit. I should have put Mara on this list. No, you shouldn't have. Uh, but we're going to talk about her in part two. Yeah, yeah. Extensively. Yeah. Oh, she comes back? Uh, well, they're they're married. I know, but yeah. I'll suddenly be one of those things like they can just. You think they're going to ride her off the show? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she'll be, we will talk about Mara extensively in part two. Definitely. Um. So She's th- like the fifth member of the strike team. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no, no. Um, what about you, uh, Joe? Uh, what do you think about Lim and Ronnie? Yeah, guys? Ronnie's definitely underappreciated. Um, he's got the tech stuff down for him. Without that, you know. I would say, and, and, and this is not going to be a spoiler, but I would say that Ronnie doesn't really, like, you don't really truly get a feel for him as a person until I'd say the back half. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He His role changes a lot. Yeah. I'll just say sure. that. Um, and then Lemansky, you know, probably the one that you want going into a fight with you. I don't think the guy lost a fight in the entire series. I was I mean, telling him the other day, I was like, if somebody on the strike team shoots you, you do not want it to be Lim. No. Because if Lim shoots you that shotgun, bro, <laughs> I mean, he is so accurate with Not that just thing. that. He puts hands on people, and, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. it don't matter if it's two of them or whatever. But and not for nothing. He's, he's definitely the biggest he member is, of yeah. the strike team. Yeah, he is. You know? Yeah, he's a big old boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know where he's from, but he's corn fed. <laughs> yep. He is a big old boy. Um, I'm going to skip over uh, Tavon for now uh, because I, he, he's not a super major character. Uh, we'll come back to him. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, Captain David Aceveda. Uh, Ace, man, what's your what's your thoughts on old Aceveda? So Aceveda, I went from thinking, okay, you know what, he is a straight laced, hard nosed captain, but you know what, I get it. He is antagonistic only in the sense that you view this TV show through the vent, uh, through, through the uh, lens of Vic, but. If you look at this, taking a step back, he's doing what is probably best for the for, uh, for the forest and for Farmington. And then as the seasons progress, <laughs> as the seasons go on, I, I, I say to myself, okay, well, he does have political aspirations, of course, but, you know, all that aside, he's still trying to look out and do what's best. And, and okay, and now at this point, maybe he's doing a few things just because he thinks he can take down Vic, but that's only because he knows that Vic could be a problem. And then the season's progressed even further, and I'm like, I got nothing. This guy is, <laughs> he's trash. He is terrible. Uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that he's portrayed great. I, I, I really, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like what he has to do in this in this series, and I think that he is a great character in the worst way. Uh, if anything, he's probably like the the complete opposite of Shane, and like they're both shitty, but on different ends of the spectrum. Uh, but yeah, with with Acevedo, man, he he's a very fun character to see. What are you gonna do next to make yourself even more of a weasel? And 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 you know, like, how are you gonna try to cover up for this next thing that you're doing? What was your initial? So I, I think um, Benito Martinez mm-hmm. does an amazing job playing him. I actually have liked him in just about everything I've seen him in. He's not in a lot of stuff, but um, what was your reaction when he uh, like brokered the deal to get Antoine Mitchell out out after? After the cop killings. I think that's when I sent you a text message. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, fuck this guy. Oh, I mean, so... uh, What little good faith he had with me riding out the first three seasons had... It was gone by this point. For various reasons, but that was definitely like the, uh, the, the icing on the cake. The final nail in the coffin. Because... Yeah, at this point, he is doing this purely for selfish reasons, purely yeah. for himself, and he he can he hides behind you know the the, the frail shallow excuse of, uh, well this was the DAA's idea you know I I didn't want to do this if there's anything I can do to help blah blah <laughs> blah and I'm like I cannot stand you right now. Well, and he cuts Captain Rawling off at the knees so many oh, times. Oh yeah, all throughout the season. You know he keeps making her think that he's on her side, and then mm-hmm. it's oh well. You know, I still want to be in charge in Farmington. He's not doing anything for Farmington anymore at this point. It's purely just for himself. Yeah. Um, Joe, what you think about Aceveda, man? Yeah, he may be the best played character on the show as far as performance because he makes you feel all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Martinez did an excellent job. Um, the writing for him too is yeah, just yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah, he but he's definitely a weasel. I mean, it's a typical politician or wannabe politician, you know? 
what can I do to garner more votes, to get upper hand, to get power? So he played that really well. Well, and, you know, we find out, like, okay, he's been manipulating his crime stats. You know, he's, you know, authorizing things here and there. And it's just like, he hates Vic because of what, of, like, the moral high ground that he thinks he has. But he and Vic are ultimately the same. And, like, there's no length that he's not willing to go to go to, to get, like, whatever he wants. He has Antoine Mitchell kill a guy. Yeah, the guy assaulted him, yes. But at the same time, he still has a guy killed for his own purely selfish aspirations. Mm-hmm. And that includes getting a guy who murdered two police officers out of prison. Like, <laughs> that he found the bodies of. You know, so it's like there's really no depths he won't get get to, and like the reason that I think he's such an interesting character is like he feels like he has the moral high ground against Vic, but really they are ultimately the same. A lot of times I would put Vic ahead of him from a morality standpoint, which is insane, but that's how it is. Yeah, you know? when he uh, considers Shane the weak link, and him and Dutch get him in the interrogation room. And he's, he's, he looks him dead in the eye and says, I know. I know, Shane. Bro, I got chills. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, he does know. He yeah. does. I, I know he doesn't know, but right now I believe him. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he it it was an incredible scene. Shane's eyes get entirely three times the size. Like, yeah. we're, we're, we're done, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Vic busts in. Yeah. But uh, that, that scene, to me, was just amazing because he was so freaking convincing. He didn't know. He thought. Mm -hmm. He had ideas. (laughs) But Shane was convinced he knew. I mean, it was something about that scene just, he blew it away. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about, like, throughout the course of this show, the people that that, that he got to act across from, you know, like, he got to spend a whole season working with Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. He got to spend a whole season, you haven't got there yet, but working alongside Forrest Whitaker. Like, you know, I mean, just it was just a, a, a pretty awesome thing. I mean, we see him share a couple scenes with Anthony Anderson. This show had to be, have been a dream for this guy. I True. Mean, from an acting perspective, because I think he probably, other than Vic, has maybe the most screen time. Yeah. Other than maybe Vic or Shane. Shane's got a lot, depending on the As season. he should. Um. Yeah, uh, I I thought Acevedo was like I said, great character. Fucking hate him. <laughs> um, probably hate him more than anybody on the list. Honestly, like even Shane. Like I enjoy watching Shane at fuck up and uh, and whatnot. But uh, yeah. Also, what 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 ist isn't Shane? By the way. Uh, let's see. We got He's sexist, racist, racist, racist uh, yeah. doesn't like immigrants, xenophobic, xenophobic. Yeah, well, I mean, we he. It's like they they went down the list and said, "What else can we add to this guy, just just to flavor him up even more?" Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, he definitely was practicing to be in a Tarantino film in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, let's talk about Dutch and Claudette. As you guys both know, Claudette is my favorite character. Absolutely, I mean, I love CCH Pounder and anything that she's in. As you know, I was, I was, I think you too, 
I was in the camp before they cast Viola Davis of like, if anybody else plays Amanda Waller, I'm out. Like, I'm done. They fortunately cast like one of the best actresses alive, and so I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> I'll take this. Yeah. But um, you know, she voiced Amanda Waller in pretty much all of the, the DC animated stuff, uh, and um, uh, I always loved like her for that role. I thought she'd been great at it, but I love her here. Um. I think her and Dutch both have such a great evolution uh, throughout the seasons, even through the, just these first four. When we first meet them, uh, I don't you don't ever find out how long they've been partners, but you imagine it hasn't been for long because in season two they do the flashback episode, right? And Dutch has just like they've just been partnered together. Yeah. So that's what six months before season one, it's six something months like before, that. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so they've been partners at the beginning of the show for about six months. And they work so well together, not just as an acting duo, but as, you know, uh, as characters in the show. Yeah. Um, everybody will tell you they're the best detectives there. Um, I, I always love the back and forth between the two of them and that we see them both, like, we see their characters both evolve so much. When we first meet Dutch, he's got this kind of arrogant... I'm gonna be the great, super, you know, serial killer hunter, blah blah blah, and then, you know, over time you kind of see where okay, he does come in contact with a serial killer, and it fucks with him hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he evolves over the throughout the show to kind of see things in a little different light. And then with Claudette, when we first meet her, she's like, she's kind of the keep your nose to the ground look at it from a reality standpoint, but then she starts to kind of see how things are going on around her. And over time, she's more and more like, I'm going to put one foot forward to try to change things or try to make things better. And we see her get on that soapbox and we see her kind of, you know, the consequences of her being probably the most morally good character on the show where it's like, you would think that this being a police station, that a character who is kind of the lawful good sort of, you know, white knight type character, uh, that they would do very well. But as we see, you know, she's not about the politics and jumping through the hoops and all that stuff. She's just trying to get the job done. And there's not a lot of upward momentum, uh, not a lot of cards to be played for a character like that. Yeah. Yeah. As far as uh, Claudette goes... Yeah, this was a character that I really enjoyed also from the uh, beginning. Like you said, CCH Pounder. I mean, she kills it. I knew she would, though. Uh, I I really like to see her, um, like, uh, it was a it was really fun for me to see her grow and, and, and be stretched as a character just because, you're right, she is kind of tested with her own moral limitations and, and how she... You know, there's a point where she decides to do something that kind of spits in the face of the higher ups and they don't like that. And she's punished for it. But she sticks to her guns because for her, her, her morals are more important than, you know, what the, the letter of the law might state. You know, and because of that, you know, she's kind of punished for it. But she sticks to her guns despite that. You know, she tries to help Julian out to a degree. And, and Lord knows he needs all the help he can get sometimes. Uh, she, she does a lot, and 
you know, at least from the beginning of the show, you also get the idea that at least to varying degrees, she's probably aware of some of the activities that Vic and his gang are up to. But because he gets results and he's not in her way, they just kind of she just kind of lets him, you know, do as he pleases until until there's an impasse. But I really enjoyed her character, and I'm curious to see where she goes because as far as where I'm at, you know, she recently got screwed out of the position of captain, and uh, it doesn't seem like they're going to revisit that well, but, I mean, we'll see. Uh, as far as Dutch goes, Dutch ha is quickly becoming my favorite character in the show, uh, which, uh, I mean, from episode one, I did not expect, and he's had quite a bit of growth for me. And it's been so much fun seeing him grow. Uh, although I, I do keep an asterisk by his name because he did strangle a cat. I don't. I mean, that's kind of hard to overlook. He loses a lot of points with me for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, but you know, it was you know, it was because he was trying to connect. Mm -hmm. He was trying to figure that stuff out. He was trying to work through some things. You know. It was it was for research like a, purposes for essentially. Lesser animal like a like a ferret or a dog or Look, I love my cats too. But I'm or, just or a I'm child. Just pointing that out. I mean, it wasn't like he just said I'm going to go kill a cat right, for the hell of it. Yeah, right. Of course. Of course. Uh so I mean, yeah, he he did do that just so he could understand psychopath Colson even more. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget if it's whether he, if he does it after the first one or or if it's after Colson, but it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's after yeah. Colson. It's after he has that uh, that crazy chilling like interrogation with right. Him. Yeah, where they're both trying to figure out what drives uh, evil Colson to, to, to what it does. <laughs> Dark Colson. <Yeah. laughs> it's crazy, right? Not to get off topic here, but. Uh, you know that 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 was uh, season three. Yeah. And if the show came out in '02, you could argue that season three was what '05, '06, probably. Um, I want to say that season three was '06 um, because writer strike. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like that happened just two years before we see him in, in Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. he's. Completely different, uh, but yeah, that was just interesting for me. But anyways, no, I think that Dutch is fantastic uh, because yeah. he's grown a set of balls as the show has gone on. He's he's been tested time and time again. Uh, when the uh, the first psychopath calls him out on on his bullshit and and just psychoanalyzes Dutch, and Dutch keeps a straight face and he's able to close the case on this guy. That was fantastic, but it got to him. But, you know, we see how that affected him. I mean, he he's willing now to stand up to, to Vic, you know, who's kind of been able to push Dutch around whenever he's, he's wanted to. The fight with Billings, yeah. The fight with Billings. The the the, the best, worst fight I've seen since, <laughs> like, Jerry from Rick and Morty fought somebody. It uh, was himself, wasn't it? Was it? Him, yeah, it wasn't yeah, it was him, like yeah. a clone of himself, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great. Um and I mean that to to dating Kareem, and I mean it's he's the man is is on a renaissance right now. So it's I'm, I'm curious to see where he goes next. Yeah. yeah. What you think about Dustin and Claudette? Yeah, definitely a dynamic duo. I feel like Dutch is probably the most underappreciated 
Yeah. Generally, Jay Carnes as an actor is underappreciated. Yeah. Generally, um, everyone gives uh, Claudette pretty much rave reviews. Uh, they forget about Dutch sometimes, I think. But, but yeah, definitely two of the best characters, and and you're going to continue to have interesting feelings about mm-hmm. both of them as the, as this, the last few seasons go on too. For sure. I, I think they have the best relationship on the show. Absolutely. That respect is there. Yeah. Yeah, it's super well earned. Like, it's not to say they've never had a spat. No. Because they definitely have. They do. But, like, their closeness is just so, like, it's it's really a, it's really heartfelt, to be honest. Yeah. You know. Um, yep. The, okay, you have to refresh my memory. Uh, you have not got to the kill clock yet, right? No. Okay. okay. I don't remember so I can't talk, clock. Can't talk about that yet. Um, there's a moment where you know he kind of like defends her, and like, it's it's very good. But uh, yeah, I, I have I, I fucked up and started watching season five, so I had oh, to okay. I had to make sure yeah. where that was on your mind. And you would remember the kill clock mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so let's talk uh, about another uh, kind of dynamic duo we have on the show. Uh, let's talk about Danny and Julian. Um, What's what's your thoughts on the two of them, Joe? So the trainee and trainer is always a very interesting uh, pair to watch. Yeah. I mean, on any cop show, training day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got things like that. It's very interesting because you know one of them knows way more than the other one. And training How, is the reason the show exists. Oh, so. really? Yeah. Yeah, the Sean Ryan. I'm surprised you don't know this. Sean Ryan that created this show. He watched Training Day, and he was like, I want, like, 200 hours of this. Wow. <laughs> and here we are. Well, and Training Day is one of my favorite movies. It, it's so a great movie. It's, yeah. it's excellent. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's because, again, the, the veteran always knows more. And how much are they going to impart to this trainee? How much are they going to, you know, hold back? How much are they going to discipline this person? What's that relationship? That's always interesting to watch. And this one, I mean, I don't know. Danny kind of got on my nerves a little bit sometimes, but – uh, Julian is definitely one of the more interesting um, kind of like subplot arcs that has uh, that goes throughout. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely like watching them. But they're it's a pair that is definitely a sub. I, Vic and these guys are definitely higher up on my priority list. And Acevedo, people like that, you know, that that command your attention a little more than these two. Well, it would be interesting to, like like you said, like in a police procedural, Danny and Julian would have their own arcs, mm-hmm. and they would just kind of run into the other characters at the station. Yeah. But that's not even remotely what happens here. They both, all of these characters have these very intricate relationships with everyone we've talked about here on this list. You know, um, like, you know, Claudette and I think Vic are both very big influences on Julian trying to pull him in either direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Danny is also another influence and maybe trying to keep him in the, in the middle, you know, she's trying to maybe kind of keep his nose out of all that kind of stuff, right? which is funny for Danny because of all the bullshit that she gets herself involved in. You know, it's like, I think that out of all the unis, I think Danny is like the best one, you know, she's probably the best cop in the station. Probably. You know, but also she's not infallible. Like she makes very stupid decisions sometimes. Yeah. Um, like like sleeping with Vic Mackey. And, <laughs> and, she's uh, definitely a career cop though. You know right, what I mean? She's yeah. not testing the water or yeah. oh, this will be cool, let me try it. Mm-hmm. She's career cop. 
there there is a like there is a like the one thing I like about all these characters, maybe the exception being Vic, like or or maybe Shane. No, no, not not Shane. All these characters exist in the world somewhere. You know, you oh, yeah. could find a Danny Sofer, you could find mm-hmm. a Julian, yeah. you could find a Claudette. It's true. None of them are unbelievable as a as a character. Like this person doesn't exist. Right. You know? Um Ace, what's your thoughts on uh, Danny and Julian? I mean, this just goes to show just how good the writing is for these characters. Uh, again, two more great characters uh, who have changed so much from when we first see them to here we are at the end of season four. Uh, as much as I do really enjoy both of these characters, I do. This is kind of like where my slight gripes come in just a little bit. Uh, I mean, one being that uh, at the yeah at the end of season four, uh, we see. Uh, Danny gets shot, and I couldn't help but feel like, okay, just pulling back the curtain, she got shot just because they needed something to happen with her. It's kind of what it seems like. And, uh, I mean, we know that she's... It, in, in Hollywood, if you get clipped in the shoulder, you'll make it. You'll be fine. You <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, my gripe with, with Julian's character is that uh, he has this really interesting conflict with himself in like the early seasons with like his homosexuality and uh, how that kind of thrashes with you know the police culture that he's with in Farmington and also with his uh, religious background as well and like how that all kind of comes to a head and how does that how does he deal with that. And and then I'm like, are we really, did we really just do conversion therapy with him? And, and now he's good. Uh, and so I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop on that. And maybe it will, but it seems like it's kind of been in the background as well as like his his family is also kind of taking the back seat for season four. But you know they got other things to do. Um, but as far as those characters go, uh, I wouldn't have those gripes if they weren't interesting. Right. You know. And uh, and so I, I think that they're both uh, really intriguing. Julian is constantly trying to find his place and, and figure out what he wants to do and how he wants to be, you know. Uh, whereas with Danny, I mean, like you guys said, she's she's trying her best to kind of toe the company line, no matter what that line is. And uh, and you can see and, and kind of respect both angles. Yeah. Um. You kind of touched on something here that that I, I definitely want to talk about next, and mm-hmm. I'm going to skip over uh, Rawling and Antoine Mitchell. We'll talk about them in season four, um, and we'll talk about Tavon. We get to Tavon as well, uh, because everybody that we just talked about is in every season, right? Like we've they they are main characters throughout the entirety of the show, and and yeah, I will say that like while I love Danny and Julian, it's very clear that the writers write their arc last. You know, like, like they, they definitely write the strike team stuff. They definitely write the Aceveda stuff that, you know, Dutch and Claudette. And then they're like, oh, and Danny and Julian will be doing this. And it's not that it's bad. It's just that it, it doesn't have as, as smooth of a transition between seasons or really when you look at the whole show. Like, um... Once again, I don't consider this a spoiler. I think Danny has a nice clean arc if you go season one to seven. I think Julian, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, I think he just kind of gets 
he kind of ends up twisting the wind. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. out of all these characters, he's the only one who does, I wouldn't say has a good ending. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of, it's just like, well, there he is. Even in real life. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> in real life, he had a terrible ending because yeah. the actor, Michael Jace, really killed his, his wife in real life and is in prison at this exact moment. So. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, you're, you're right. If there's one that needed an extra episode or something, it, yeah, it's, it's him. It's definitely him. Um, now, uh, I want to talk about this before we get into, the, into like, specific season stuff. This show doesn't get made today, right? Like, some of the, like – sexual overtones and 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 i mean that in a couple ways like uh you know like in early season one they have julian getting a blowjob off like not off camera (laughs) they don't like show the nudity but it's like this is on regular cable Mm -hmm. right they push the line in terms of violence and sexuality and then also like the bigotry that's kind of displayed in the show whether it's accurate or not like you know like the police brutality stuff That was not something that was, like, now where it's, like, front and center, you know, where there's been all these, like, very public incidents over the last decade. It it was still kind of a hush-hush kind of thing. I mean, there was – people knew about it, um, but, like, it wasn't, like, front and center like this. Cell phones with cameras didn't exist. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That I mean, you, you could have, you could take a picture of that and send it to me, and it'd be two megapixels. <laughs> yeah, but not not now when you got HD video cameras on yeah. everybody's great hand. audio. We're yeah. recording on a phone right now because it's the best. Right, that's thing. that's yeah. why. Yeah, I mean because it's it, it was just it was the police, the good guys versus the criminals, the bad guys, and that's how it was. That's the narrative, and that's how the show shows it too, uh, in a lot of ways. And you know it's. It's very much a, a situation where, like, this show, to me, has only become more relevant in the social space because of all of that, right? Like, over time. Now, where it is not as, uh, where it's a little bit less relevant or rather showing its age is kind of with, like, all the, like, sexual stuff. Like, like there's a lot of F-bombs dropped in the show. The kind of... Um, the way that, like, gay characters are portrayed in the show is very, like, early 90s kind of thing. But I think that's also kind of because that's sort of, that was the culture. They, they address that where it's like, you know, uh, you look at, like, rap music, right, up until very recently, uh, you know, that... They, they very much were not, like, uh, they weren't exactly waving pride flags around on the album. <laughs> You know, and it, this it's probably the same way in police culture, right? That's kind of what's happening in this show. So there's a lot of that where it kind of shows its age. You know, yeah. It's a mm-hmm. sign of the, the times it was created in. Yeah, Julian didn't want Crossbones to know. No, he did not. Did you did you see notice that? Yeah, did you notice that? The no. Crossbones? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, on? Yeah, Super yeah. young, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Frank, like Frank Grillo. Yeah. yeah, Frank Grillo. Yeah. yeah. Chang is actually in the show, too, though. You said who? Chang from um, from uh, Community. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's like the photographer that comes in. I think in like season two or three, oh, he has a very that. minor yeah. part. It, it's a very early role for him too. He just kind of comes. Uh, huh. uh, Ken Jong. He yeah. just kind of comes yep. chilling in. Uh, I think I do remember. Seeing in, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. quick. Like, but, oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff, like the social commentary from the show, I think. Like at least from a 
like the interactions between like the police and the and the the citizens, like I think has just become more relevant over time. Right. Um. So let's talk some specifics. Um, season one, going into this, we talked about earlier. Very first episode, we got Terry Crowley. We get introduced to him as if he's going to be a major character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, and just watching that first episode, you're like, okay, they're setting the stage for this. It's going to be Aceveda and uh, Terry Crowley, and they're going to be trying to like work behind the scenes to bring down Vic Mackey and the others. And we learn very early on that Aceveda's going to have to carry that shit by himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And Terry Crowley gets shot in the face at the very end of the first episode. And this, honestly, like, Aceveda already was trying to bring Vic down. But at this point, it's it's such a personal vendetta because he really liked Terry. And I think in his mind, he wants Terry to be Vic. Like, he wants Terry to lead the strike team once they get rid of Vic. Um, but Aceveda knows that Vic was involved in the murder. Only, only Aceveda knew, supposedly, that Crowley was going to snitch on, on Vic. So he can't go public with that information because it, it wasn't public, right? Like, he, it's all got to be hush-hush. And even they, they even tell him, like, if it comes out you were investigating your own cops off the books, you're done in this department. Right. So that's kind of our first instance of seeing Aceveda you know, he, he doesn't take the morally sound option. He takes the my career mm-hmm. option. Um, and that kind of ties into the other bullet point I have here where we got Aceveda and he's he's trying to track down, like he's trying to say, okay, the strike team's doing this, strike team's doing this. Uh, with the, the cocaine and the stolen navigator from Shane that we talked about earlier and that whole arc. Uh, Ace, what did you think about about kind of the early kind of Aceveda versus Mackey stuff. Uh, Yeah, so with a lot of the early stuff, I was still trying to get a feel out for these characters and kind of more of their motivations. And the show does a great job with this pacing in terms of making that known fairly quickly. Vic Mackey wants to work the way that he wants to work, which is, you know, kind of his motivation, it seems, for most of the season. And uh, Aceveda wants, he wants brownie points. You know, he wants a clean department. He wants to look good, you know, when he gets his uh, inevitable promotion, you know. Uh, I, I do sometimes still go back to the to the Terry Crowley thing, and I think to myself, at least at this point, is that the worst thing that Vic has done? Uh, and I don't think the answer is is No. Uh, I mean, like just from a, a I mean, because it was episode one and, and, not, and not to stay on this for too long, but I do wonder sometimes because they, uh, I'm not saying that they reeled him in, but it's like killing an innocent cop in episode one, how much further down do you want him to go from there? And so I feel like they did a, a really good job of trying to giving him more redeemable qualities as the show goes on and then pairing that with reasonably shitty things for a man like Vic to do rather than continuously murdering, you know, more or less innocent people uh, who are being manipulated by 
Weiss was like Aceveda. Yeah, I I agree with that. Because um, like if you if you contrast it right, like technically they murder Armadillo in season two, but you definitely don't feel the same way about it mm-hmm. because we wanted him to die. <laughs> yeah. And that that's one of the things I really love about this show is it challenges you mm-hmm. to look at your morality and say, okay, so this is murder and this is murder. Why do you feel differently about the two? Like, what is it about these two things that makes you feel differently? And like, from a you know, from that standpoint, it's like, well, Armadillo deserved it. He's a bad guy, you know. And like in Vic's mind, like Terry Crowley was a bad guy. Like he was trying to rat out another cop, which to Vic is like that's a that's the ultimate sin, you know. Uh, but yeah, I guess he can't just shoot everybody that <laughs> that uh, tries to <laughs> tries to come after him. Um, what about you, Joe? What do you feel about uh, about this little arc here in season one as we get started? About Crawley? Well, uh, really, the kind of the Aceveda versus Vic, including Terry Crowley, but he's only there for one episode, right? So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I kind of talked earlier about some of the the interrogation of Shane, which I really liked, and yeah, you know, he's he's hot and heavy on their trail with with the stolen navigator that Dina. Uh, had her hands on like he's there before them because mm-hmm. Julian calls it in even though Danny's trying to tell him not to. I mean he's so close, and that we're only a couple episodes in, so you're like, oh, these guys, this show ain't gonna last very long. Right. They're about to get caught. Yeah. And, and Vic <laughs> actually had the brick of cocaine like tucked under his oh, jacket when, yeah. when he yeah. walked yeah. out of the yeah the guy that was overdosed. Yeah, yeah. yeah that you gotta, was, that and, was and you know what? He even looked him dead in the eyes. Said, you want to do a cavity search? Yeah. As he's walking out. Right. And Aceveda's like, fuck, well, if he's saying that, I'm not going to turn up anything. He, he, he just bluffed him. I mean, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the ultimate poker play. Yeah. Because that could have just went south so quick, so yeah. bad. You know? What if he just bumped him and felt oh, yeah. bad? You know, it's just. Yeah. I mean, like, if it were me, he I would have been I would have been done for because I would have been walking like a penguin, you know, trying. Not right. To- <laughs> yeah. You're standing three feet from this man with the evidence. Basically, in With your jeans, yeah, right. cocaine in your team, enough to put you and your team away, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, it's you know, it's definitely right out the gate. You know, these two are gonna just battle. Oh yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, I I think that that's certainly a great setup for the show, and also seeing how everybody else reacts to it. We talked about. Uh, which, by the way, those those scenes between Dina and uh, and Aceveda are amazing. Yeah, they are. Just from an acting standpoint. Yeah. Um, but you know, we talked a little a, bit, a little bit earlier, kind of about you know the way Aceveda is going to go about stuff, and we get this early kind of showdown, and we see how all the other characters react to it, right? Like we see Claudette's like at this point in the show, she's like, well, he's, you know. I, I'm not sticking my nose in another cop's business. It's not my business. He's effective. Right. And, you know, she kind of tries to give Acevedo some advice. Like, all right, well, he must look like a big fish to you. But cut bait. You yeah. go after him. You're just going to – I think she actually ends up telling uh, – or she tells she tells Dutch, like, you get between them, you're just going to end up with a hose full of piss running yes. away. Because he brought Dutch into that interrogation. Yeah. Right. And, that, and that's yeah. – him, you know, Dutch kind of really getting on Vic's shit list. Yeah. Yeah. Which he does a lot. Well, yeah. and then Dutch, rightfully so, goes and says, don't ever call me into interrogation without me knowing what's going on. Right. You know, all, we were, that was a power play. Oh, We've yeah. got a numbers game happening in that scene. 
I mean, but if it's me and somebody drags me in there in my real life to help with something, no. I need some details before I walk in that room, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So he was using Dutch as a pawn just to, just to make it look like a stronger, you know, front. Right. Well, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to tip his hat to Dutch that he thinks they killed him either. Right. You know? Like I think going into that interrogation, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but you kind of get the impression that Dutch just thinks that like he didn't go down the way they say it went down. Like maybe they got sloppy. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 Because during that interrogation, you, uh, as as Estevita's getting kind of more heated, you see Dutch kind of be like, "What? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about yeah. here? Yeah. Definitely." <laughs> Like, there's more to this. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we got the we got that arc. We got Julian's kind of first arc here, where you know, and this ties right in. Julian's the one that saw them grab the coke. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do the right thing. He goes to Aceveda. Well, about the same time, we realize that Julian is gay, and he's kind of uh, I I think the guy was like a petty thief or whatever. Um. He's got this relationship with this guy who's kind of. You know, uh, he's I think he's on probation or yeah, something like small that. time criminal. And uh, second strike when we meet him, I think. Yeah, and you know, so we see that relationship kind of develop, and we also find out that he's very religious, and so there's this big conflict between those two things for him, and he's trying to do what he thinks is like morally right, uh, and as it turns out, you know, Vic gets wind of that. And in the pharmacy police station at this point in time, being openly gay is not an option mm-hmm. for an officer. Uh, and, and so we kind of see that angle play out where, you know, he drops his statement because it's obviously it's like, this is going to go to court or something. If, if you got an officer saying he saw another cop steal this cocaine. Uh, but Julian withdraws his statement because Vic gets to him. What did you guys think about this situation? I mean, yeah, I thought that, uh, I mean, the grand scheme of things, even at this point in the series, I'm like, oh, this isn't the worst thing Vic could do. <laughs> Vic could just shoot him, you know. <laughs> uh, he got off good compared to the last guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I uh, I thought, I, I, I like the uh, the kind of uh, complexity that it introduced to Julian uh, where he wants to do the morally right thing, but now, uh oh, his dirty little secret is going to get out, and now what's he going to do? So, is he how, how far is he willing to to take his morals before it starts to maybe jeopardize his career or how people view him? And, and so, once his own kind of uh, uh, self perception kind of gets in the way of things, then he decides that you know what, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going, to, I'm going to cave on this thing. You know, maybe I shouldn't pursue this whole uh, deal with uh, Vic having the the keys of Coke. I didn't see that, you know. Right. So I, I was mistaken. Yeah, I was mistaken. How, how were you mistaken with such fine detail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, if, like, a younger person watched this, they'd probably be like, what's the big deal? Like, oh, people are going to find out he's gay. So what? But, like, it's a lot different in 2023 than mm-hmm. it was in 2002. Yeah, probably especially on police force. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it's almost like we're, you and I were talking about suits, right? The main main guy, Harvey's like, find something we can use. Almost every episode I've seen, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's what Vic did. Mm-hmm. He found something he could use to get them out of the situation. 
But then, at the same time, what's uh, Julian's line that he says more than anything in all the seasons we've seen? I'm not gay, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And what's Vic say? Julian, you need to be yourself. Like, yeah. he's actually, you know, relating to this man and telling him, just, you know, you don't have to fake it for me. I understand. I'm fine with it. And it, it comes across as this compassionate person, mm-hmm. while at the same time, I just press this guy's button. Right. You know? <laughs> well, I use it against you, but hey, don't let that stop you from right. being you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, that's the trick, right? Like, the con man always leaves you feeling better about yourself. Like, that's, that's, that's part of the hook. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's really it, you know, is it's, it's Vic being like, you know, oh, man, you know, I'm trying to help you out. You know, like, oh, well, we don't want this to come out, but, like, you know, if it does, you don't have to, you know, you don't want it to come out, but you can come to me, you know. Yeah, but do you believe him? Do you believe that he feels that Julian should not necessarily hide it? I I think that Vic knows that it would be a mistake for him to come clean about it as right. an officer, but I think that Vic personally probably doesn't really care one way or the other, especially if he can use it to his own ends. Yeah, but, I mean, if you think about it, if Julian comes out and everyone knows, Vic has no leverage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I'm even going to turn this card over mm-hmm. and show you. Yeah. yeah. But I think that Vic has also been around long enough to know that, okay, I can read Julian like a book. He's He doesn't want this out. So I can yeah. I can show him, I can show him my whole hand. He won't be able to. He won't stop it. Yeah. You know? uh, but, but also – it's kind of interesting, right? Because in comparison to uh, other officers, Vic, he does a shitty thing, but he he doesn't seem to really care about Julian's sexuality in comparison to the other officers. Right. No, he doesn't. I mean, and he's got bigger fish to fry anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's more concerned about this than than anything. You know, like he's he's way more concerned about watching his own skin. Mm-hmm. You know, basically. Yep. So. Um. And then we've got kind of Dutch and Claudette's main arc here in season one. Uh, kind of around, I think, episode three or four, they find, like, the first body that's kind of, um, that Dutch is like, oh, well, they turn the body face down. That means that this guy, you know, is this, this, and this. And he starts, like, psychoanalyzing the guy. And Claudette is like, you don't have evidence for any of this. You're just, <laughs> you know, you've been watching too much Cold Case or CSI mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck was on at the time. You know, and it's just like, you could tell that Dutch is trying to turn every case into, oh, well, this is a serial killer, or you yeah. know, or uh, you know, a grand robbery of some kind, you know, a crime spree, and Claudette's like, we got to go off the evidence and then make our conclusions. We can't come to the conclusion and then and then try to dig through the evidence and right. and arrive there. And with this one though, as time goes on, Claudette becomes more convinced. They find another body and then another. And they're all the the hookers turn face down, right? And uh, eventually, they just happen to catch this guy because he was so impulsive that he ended up going back to the scene of one of the crimes. Um, Well, he did something when he went there, though. Yeah, he got caught masturbating at the scene (laughs) of the crime, and it's just like you know, if he hadn't done that, they may not have caught the guy. But even then, it was it was challenging for them to, to get him to confess. Right. And we had that amazing scene to cap this off with Dutch interrogating the guy. And the guy is just going in on on Dutch the whole time. And that guy is in He's in some other stuff, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But he's in he's definitely in a couple other things. 
And um, the whole time that you know the guy is uh, is thinks he's just grilling Dutch, they're all gathered around the monitor, like watching or whatever. The the bodies are being dug out from under his house, you know. Yeah, like they've got mm-hmm. him. Yeah, uh, and that was just that that scene. It to me was probably my favorite scene from season one. That was a great scene. Yeah, and it's one of the few times after they basically know that they have all the evidence that the uh, strike team guys call him Dutch Man. Yeah, instead of Dutch Boy, because right. he earned he earned their respect for cracking that guy. Um, but you look at Dutch as he's coming out of there and everybody's cheering him on, that's all he lives for right there. Yeah. He could do it without a paycheck if he could chase serial killers and get the respect of his colleagues for doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Period. Well, and then he goes to the car, though, and breaks down. Because uh-huh. the guy was yeah. right. The guy was right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything the guy said he about it. He held it all in. He did until he got to the yep. car, man, and then just lost it. And that was such a great character yeah. moment. Yep. The, the writing there was so clutch, I think. Oh, yeah, it was because – if if Dutch ends up just no selling that and then we never see you know that end result, then uh, it, it would leave me wanting a little bit. So seeing Dutch, first of all, uh, when everybody was celebrating like you know Dutch, you know breaking the case, or whatever you know, and, and getting to the bottom of it and figuring the whole thing out, they were all celebrating him. Uh, Dutch seemed happy, but not as happy as you think he'd be, you know, for finally getting the the big case he wanted. Uh, and I think that that was definitely a part of it because it was still eating him up and he was on the way out. And then, you know, he goes and breaks down in the car. Uh, I really dug that moment just because, uh, like you guys already said, yeah, the guy was right about Dutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was just one of those kind of cool moments because, uh, you know, again, without that, then I'm not sure exactly what the uh, what that would say about our, our serial killer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah I agree with that entirely. Um, does anybody have anything else in season one they want to discuss? We do meet Connie here, yep. which is uh, Vic's like kind of hooker. CI, CI, mm-hmm. uh, and she's a recurring character. Yeah, you know, we see a lot from her. Um, so Vic, and I'm just gonna this isn't anything, but Vic. Never. He 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 doesn't say that that's not his baby. When asked about it, um, is it uh? So, <laughs> so I don't think it is. They never yeah. really hint at that. Yeah, no, they they, they don't. Uh, I'm just throwing out uh, uh fun fun theories out there, just theory crafting because uh, Kareen just comes out and and, and asks him, "Is this your baby?" And instead of saying no, Vic pauses and then he tells the story of Connie and how he how he met her right. and the white stepping her out. Well, I think that story indicated that that wasn't because that that was how he met her. Yeah. So I think that story tells the tale. I don't, I don't think that's Vic's. And he's always truthful. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, of course, right? I'm I never got the impression that was Vic's yeah. kid. It looks like Vic. <laughs> All babies look like Vic. <laughs> It was white and bald. It yeah. looks just like Vic. Yeah. And he does check up on the kid, but also again because he had that, you know, that that kind of kinship with Connie. But uh, again, it's just a fun theory that I wanted to throw out, uh, throw out there. Yeah, yeah um, I wonder the same. Yeah. 
And her whole art plays out over the first three seasons or the first two seasons. I can't remember. Oh, man. Um, I think it's just two, isn't it? Or I maybe. I don't know. No, 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 no. So, so doesn't Julian have a different partner at the beginning of season three? Because Danny got let go, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Okay, so it's season three then. Right? When all that goes down. Season three is probably the one that I'm like the least sure about. Okay. Yeah, I wish I'd been able to watch everything one more time. I'm I'm yeah. into season well, you one just again. It. I did, but like I was telling you the other day, whenever you, you watch something that all yeah that close together, it, yeah. I'm like, what happened in season? Together. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just one long season. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so into season one, we get the reveal that you know Vic got out of the whole deal with uh, what's the assistant chief uh, Gilroy. Gilroy. So the whole Gilroy God. thing that was that was craziness. Yeah, uh, where you know they had the the riots and like the all the crime and everything, and as it turns out, uh, you know it, it ends up that um, that uh, you know this was all a plan a ploy from Gilroy to drop their real estate value in certain areas. They were going to buy up all the property, and then they were going to reallocate the police units to come in and clean it up. Property value skyrockets. It's actually kind of brilliant if you've. In a position like he was to, well, it's, to pull it's off gentrification with extra steps, right? Yeah, yeah, with profit, <laughs> yeah. yeah, extra profits. Yeah, I feel like another show copied that later too. I can't remember which, hmm. but I I know I've seen that plot more than once. I've seen a couple arcs from this show ripped off. Yeah, but but also um, the thing is like uh, Walking Dead. Um, uh, what's the show with the bikers? Uh, Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy and Breaking Bad all have writers from this show. Oh. And you can kind of see that in their yeah. DNA. So. Uh, uh, another fun side note here, uh, Gary Rory. I, I really like the actor who plays the role, but I'm like, man, Gary Busey would have just... <laughs> <laughs> Gary Busey would have killed this. Isn't, isn't Gary Busey in the show later? I don't think so. Oh, I have to look at that. As what? <laughs> I, I, I feel like he's like one of those like di- like like cops from like another part of the city or something in one of the... Maybe oh I'm just imagining goodness. that. Maybe I'm fan-fictioning that. It'd be so. great. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, that I, I'm not mad at that. All right. So, picking right back up. Uh, we... Uh, so, season two... End of season one, we get this whole arc. They they resolve the Gilroy thing, which was a really cool ending, I thought. But then Vic comes home and he finds out that the job has now cost him his family. Uh, they are they are gone. Um, and so going into season two, that's like a major arc. Is like Vic's trying to not only do the job, but he's also trying to run run down, figure out where his family's at. Um, what, what did you think about the end of season one, Ace? When you watched it recently? Uh, yeah, so I thought that it did its job and it made me want to see more. And yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I, I liked the way that it wrapped up, right? But it didn't, uh, I mean, it wrapped up properly, but it also didn't seem so finished that there couldn't be anything else. You know what I mean? So it was, it was an, a very appropriate ending, I thought, for season one. Uh, so I, I kind of dug it from that angle, but also there were enough loose threads where I was like, okay, I got to go ahead and see what happens next, you know. And, you know, 
like comparing and contrasting there, like in season one, you don't like you're like okay, well clearly Vic's the damn villain. He's also the protagonist. <laughs> yeah. But like Gilroy is really, I think, the season villain. If there's a season mm-hmm. villain. And we don't really get introduced to that until way later. Whereas in season two, mm-hmm. they start us off with Armadillo burning two people to death, um, right anyway, off the rip. I, I could be getting my my stuff mixed up, but uh, Gilroy is, is he, he's the uh, assistant, assistant chief. chief. Yeah, but I mean, he, he ends up being the uh, like the the big bad threat at the end of season one. Yeah, he's the one that's okay. like doing the real estate, the land yeah. scheme, and all I, that. See, I watched these also close together. I couldn't remember that was season one or two, but okay. Yeah, the, the land season, scheme yeah. thing. That's the very end of season one. That's what I thought. So then we go right into season two. That's yeah. where they introduce Armadillo right off the rip. Is like mm-hmm. this is gonna be your big bad now. Yeah, yeah, good old Armadillo, uh, Two Face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, the. Uh, but yeah, the still the the, the Gear War stuff I always really enjoyed because I was like, this motherfucker can't be trusted. I thought he was one of the, I thought he was halfway decent. He's an old white man in a cheap suit. It's true. With He's power. That's with true. Power. With, with power. power. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes it even scarier. But uh, yeah, like I said, I, I really I really like how they just kind of they wrapped it up, but also they they left more questions, which is what you need to do for a season one finale. Well, it's the old uh, supposedly Abe Lincoln quote. You know, all men can withstand adversity. If you want to see someone's character, give them power. And there we go. So, uh, Gilroy did not pass that fucking test. No. Um, yeah. What a friend he was. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and you know, this is one of the few times where I'm, like, agreeing with Shane. Because Shane's like, uh, let's fucking kill him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and But, you know, Vic at this point, I think... Vic not only has the relationship with Gilroy, and we see that kind of in the flashback as well. Gilroy is kind of the guy that's been watching Vic's ass and enabling him. You know, he's, he's you know, every time Aceveda, like, gets on the trail, Gilroy's like, no, 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 you got to drop this. Yeah, he's running interference for sure. Exactly. So Vic is trying to, to keep that relationship until the moment he realizes, probably about the time he hit the gun in his house, <laughs> that that's not going to be an option anymore. Yeah, uh, how crazy was it? Like when you know Gear War, he goes and you know visits Vic's family, and when Vic isn't there, and uh, you know, that you know, of course is when he has the gun. <laughs> and I, I, I like how they, you know, between one episode and the other, they paint this picture of Gear War as being like this unhinged madman who could harm Vic's family. And then you know the next time you see him, he's like, "Well, I hid in a place where the kids couldn't get to it." <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not a monster. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so, Vic's family leaves as a result of all this stuff. We get introduced to Armadillo, and, man, this guy was like, I mean, we had the serial killer in season one, but Armadillo is like the first time that we got, like, okay, here's a bad guy on the street who is the major threat now. And this dude, you know, he comes into Farmington, and he's trying to basically unite these, you know, the Mexican gangs together. And he's trying to run this big operation and everything. And he's studied American laws. And in any other district, this might have worked out for him. <laughs> Unfortunately, Vic Mackey also has studied the American laws and doesn't give a shit about them. As a matter of fact, um, so just to set the stage for you on this, we're at a convention, the two of us, 
And there's two other people in our hotel room. They have never seen the show at all. And we're watching the episode where Vic burns his face, Armadillo's face off. Right. So, like, they're watching the show with us, and the, the officers of the law show up. They knock on the door. The dude answers. Vic begins to beat him with the law book <laughs> and then burn his face off on the stove. And, like, the other two people that were in the room with us, that's their only exposure to the show at this point. And they're just like, who were the bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, he raped a little girl. He's the bad guy. Yeah. yeah you, you have to do something absolutely awful, irredeemable to, to get lower than Armadillo. So. I, I agree. I mean, as far as like the villains on the show in the first four seasons, I would put him even below Antoine Mitchell on like the scumbag shit list. You know? Yeah, yeah I, I think so too. So Ronnie finally got a speaking part. He's like, "Hey, Vic, stop." That's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, eighteen episodes in. Yeah, and it was like, "Whoa, whoa, who said who well, said yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> who are you?" <laughs> I can talk, Ronnie. Um, Ronnie doesn't become relevant at all until like they put they they put the hit out on Armadillo. Uh, on his brother. They're like, oh, we're going to kill your brother if you keep this shit up. And then Armadillo's like, fucking bet. Has his own brother killed. Mm -hmm. And then they end up trapping Ronnie and burning his damn face off to kind of get get revenge back on on Vic. Um, I'm going to tell you, man, about the seventh or eighth time he hit me with that law book, I would have been like, okay, I'll leave. Around the time that your teeth start falling out? Start falling out, yeah. I'd be like, okay, Mm -hmm. That was a crazy image when you look inside that mouth. Chipped and busted and everything. Yeah, and then he burned his face. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, no, that was the appetizer. Yeah. The, the, The actual meal was coming. The, the 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 effects department with the prosthetics, oh, they did such a good job. The 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 burns were like deep. Mm-hmm. It was like half a fucking inch deep into his face. And mm-hmm. it was just like, oh my God, that must have been horrible. Yeah. It's a good thing that Vic, you know, didn't try that in like an apartment like mine. Because we'd have been standing over that burner for like a good three minutes before it got hot. You know, <laughs> just having an awkward conversation. He would have just been beating you with the books. Oh, that's still, true. You know. <laughs> Hey, Lim, tell me when that's hot. Yeah. Yeah, tell me when that's hot. I'm just going to you know, kind of... You know, and... Uh, honestly, too, you know, this is where Claudette starts to kind of... Um, I think really change her her tone about, like, the links that Vic is willing to go to. Because, you know, she has a lot of invested in this because... The little girl that he raped, like, that was their, like, kind of witness. And, like, Claudette, um, you know, got her to come in. Yeah. And she feels immense guilt about what happens to her. Put her in harm's way. Yeah. And Claudette is like, I want this guy no matter what. And her and Vic come to a crossroads on that where it's like Vic doesn't need him to be taken in the right way. Vic needs him dead because he doesn't need him telling everybody how he got the scars on his face. Or any of the other shit that Vic was into, like the fact that Vic had his own cocaine dealer. Which, I liked T.O., actually. Yeah. T.O. was a cool guy, and then Armadillo killed him, too. Which was <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, didn't he also? I mean, yeah, he was the he was the guy who would, like, uh, tie people to stage, throw tires over them, and then set set tires and end them on fire. Yeah, he know? burned down yeah. um, T.O.'s comic shop, which mm-hmm. was also his drug crib, which, I mean, I gotta admit, that... That's a cool front for a, it is. for a drug crib. Yeah. And then 
they took the dead pig and stuck the the strike team card to it. Yeah, which was, which was a nice touch. Yeah, you know, but Armadillo like. He clearly had no idea what he was getting himself into here. Yeah, no, he probably should have uh, did a little bit more research on specifically what kind of police officers he'd be dealing with, yeah. you know, before coming directly into Farmington. And, you know, he, he towards the end, he's like, the only way I'm going to stay alive is if I get taken into custody. And that does not work out for him either. <laughs> not at all. Um, what was your kind of reaction, Ace, watching that too? the way that, that that whole thing worked out where they had him basically shanked in the cage. Uh, yeah, so that shit was wild. I was like, really, right here? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I thought that, that that shit was kind of crazy for me because uh, I knew that he had to go, right? Like, he can't he can't stay alive. He right. can't just go to jail like he, or prison. Like, he, he can't be processed by, uh, by the fullest extent of the law. This motherfucker has to die somehow, and so. But when it happened, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was uh, fulfilling because it made sense, and I didn't see it coming. Not that way, and so for me, I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty top notch way to get rid of a guy like that. And 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 by doing this, Vic almost cost Danny mm-hmm. her career. He, he does because yeah, he puts her in a real shitty situation, a real shitty situation, and. I mean, shit. Yeah, I mean that that ends up. Yeah, I, that that kind of that gets her in deep shit for a while. Yeah, she actually gets let go. Yeah, and she ends up yeah going to working for a school in season three at the beginning. Uh, right. So. Yeah. Um, also, around this time, we get the civilian auditor, uh, Lainey Kellis. She was like perfect for this role. Is you just you just like. Think okay, yeah, this is someone who would sign up to be a fucking civilian auditor. Mm-hmm. She was she was like the head Karen. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning, you know, she comes in as a result of all the riots in season one, and like she can't stand Dutch. Like Dutch rubs her the wrong way, and Vic is playing her like a damn fiddle. I mean, I think probably until she really hangs around the barn for a while. And it may actually be the Armadillo death that finally tips it for her. Like, no, this this guy's crooked. Um, and we get that perfect scene at the end where she's in like that conference room with like the police chief and everybody, and they're playing the the tape where they tried to like send Gilroy back out and they tried to frame Vic or whatever. They had him wearing a wire, mm-hmm. and you know Vic picks up on it and he like perf gets the perfect speech you know, recorded where it's just like, oh, well, yeah, he's got to have that reputation out on the street where, you know, he's willing to do whatever, but he's actually doing everything by the book, supposedly. It's just a reputation play. And the police committee, whoever that was, believes it. Right. Um, what did y'all think about the kind of, that kind of arc where, you know, they're they're following up the riots in season one with, like, having the civilian auditor come in and... And, like, kind of, this is the next person that's trying to, like, get Vic, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weak, you know, to be honest. But I will tell you, there is no one that is disliked more (laughs) than some civilian coming into a law enforcement agency to tell them how to do things better. Right. I can tell you that. (laughs) The, The Dutch, the person that gets made fun of or whatever... Their respect level is 10,000 times that person walking in that door. 
Right. 100%. So, you know, it's one of those uh, swing and a miss here, you know, right out the gate. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something that I think played well because, you know, it's one of these – I'm going to figure out what Vic's doing, and I'm going to I'm going to chase it, and it's it's going nowhere. Because you know, as you've probably already seen, well that didn't work. Let's try this mm-hmm. to get Vic. Oh that didn't work. Let's press Shane. Yep. Okay, that didn't work. What about this? Not necessarily all come from Aceveda, mm-hmm. but just from the writing. Yeah. You know. So yeah. Yeah, uh, man. I I think for me, like the whole. The whole thing is that Vic has to have his head on a swivel because he's got enemies in every direction, some of which at times he doesn't even know. And like when Gear War had the uh, had the wire on him, listen, I think that Vic could have been forgiven if he just thought that Gear War was on a fucking bender off the deep end again and he was losing his shit. I mean, which he was, but he was also cooperating. You know, he also, he still had a wire on him. You know, he still had... And, and so, like, when that moment happened, I was like... I don't know if I would have directly caught on to that, even though, in hindsight, Gear was being very obvious, you know, that, that he clearly had a wire on him. But I, Vic has to, like, pay attention at all times, it seems. Yeah. And they still ended up shipping his ass off to Mexico and not right. getting caught. <laughs> Somehow. I'm like, and, and I do love, though, how they even kind of question, like, is he going to be okay? Like, not because we roared about him, but, like, because if, if he shits the bed again, this shit could come tumbling downhill big time. You're risking something keeping him alive. Yeah. Right. And we we find out, I believe it is in the beginning of season four, how it went for him. Yeah. That's when <laughs> that the body well. shows up. Yeah. yeah. So he basically just went to Mexico and, and ate shit and drank himself into an early grave. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which I mean, I guess when in Rome, I, you know, whatever. But, no, he he was in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. um, there's an arc in season two that I think we were talking about, like where the show really shows its age. Uh, that maybe the most kind of I, I guess you watching it today, it's really distasteful. Where they do this um, this arc where Danny shoots the the Muslim guy. Yeah. And she drops that really cringe line on him the with the Islamophobia where she's like, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of guys who like your brother killed 3000 Americans or whatever. You're just like, "Holy shit." But once again, this was 2003. Mm-hmm. It was like right after 9/11, and that was like not that uncommon in the US back right. then. I mean, for that to happen doesn't make it right. I mean, it's still just as wrong, but like watching it 20 years later, you're like, oh shit, lady, what, you know. I wasn't too clear at first on how to take this because I wasn't sure what the show wanted me to take from it at first, you know. I wasn't sure, because at first, I was giving the show the benefit of the doubt, looking at it through uh, through today's lens, thinking, okay, well, they're, they're, sh- they're doing this to paint Danny as someone who has a lot of shit that she needs to work on as a character and as a person. Uh, but then as it went on, I was like, okay, no, we're supposed to view Danny here as the victim in this situation. And that's when it kind of started to lose me with that plot. Yeah, I mean, so clearly the neighbor, right, mm-hmm. is buying into the, like, Islamophobia, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, she's, she's 100% just like, this guy's a damn terrorist because he's not like me mm-hmm. and because he's 
from you know the Middle East, whatever. And I think the the, the neighbor is supposed to be clearly viewed as like you know like a, a bigot or racist, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then like the Islamic guy is also like he's just as racist towards her. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, there's really no good person here. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like honestly, like. Danny shooting the guy, uh, you know, it's not like she wasn't completely in the wrong. You are. Yeah, I, I definitely think that her like bias made her like more, um, I would say, defensive in the situation. Like, oh, this dude's gonna shoot me. But when the cops show up to your house, running out of the front door yelling with a mm-hmm. fucking gun is not really the ideal way to go about it. That's probably a good way to get shot. Yeah. Especially if you are a Middle Eastern person in the United States in this, at this <laughs> point in time. In the year 2003. Like, that's not a, none, none of that is in your favor. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a great place. What did you think about this arc, Joe? Yeah, I mean, it kind of showed how things can in the field for an officer can just get sideways real quick by no one no one person's fault there's already some you know disgruntled neighbor type stuff going on some racism and things like that and then boom plop an officer there what good can come out of that you know they're either going to comply or somebody's going to have an issue or not be satisfied at the end of the night there's that that's it so you know it was one of those things where I was kind of expecting this is going to go downhill and, you know, this officer is going to get in some hot water. And that's basically what happened. And, and that's kind of something they did in the first couple seasons a lot where with uh, Danny and Julian where they would go on these uni calls and sometimes it would just be an off-the-wall thing. But sometimes also they would go out and, like, they would have the – where they would come back multiple times and you kind of see the arc play out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the two guys that were, the like, feuding over the, yeah, the chick in the yeah. trailer park or whatever. <laughs> I love where, like, the guy spray-painted ho on the yeah. side and they just put an S yeah. on the front so it says shoe. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. And, and, you know, you kind of see that, like, that play out over several episodes. And so it, it was cool to kind of give – Danny and Julian, this really like street level type stuff to kind of get that aspect of it too. The way that specific kind of side arc ended to me felt like, uh, Joe, I'm, I'm going to lose you on this, but it felt like playing Mass Effect and making all the wrong decisions yeah. where you get the bad outcome. Renegade Danny. <laughs> yeah. well, well, you know, season two, like everything goes wrong for Danny. Yeah. She shoots the guy. The, the widow starts coming after her, the armadillo thing in the cage, mm-hmm. she ends up losing her job at the end, like... Which, with, with the, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the widow stuff. Like, did I miss something, or, like, did that just kind of fizzle out? It does just kind of fizzle out, yeah. Like, the widow harasses her for a while, mm-hmm. and then after she and loses all, her job... And it's all off-camera. Yeah. Know, yeah. And, well, so they do come in and try to, they bring the lawyer in, mm-hmm. the widow comes in, and they, they have that confrontation. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, when she loses her job in season two, comes back in season three, they kind of fizzle that arc out, which is probably for the best, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back at it. Yeah. Well, to wrap up season two, let's talk the damn money train guys. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things. Like, uh, I don't consider this a spoiler, but there's several things in these first four seasons that. Uh, and there's there's a I think when you watch the last three you'll really understand why I wanted to split it up this way. 
Because seasons one through four are kind of like the sins, and then the last three seasons are kind of like the reckoning for all the things oh. that happened in the first four. And there's several things that happen. The the Terry Crowley killing, of course, obviously that's going to come back up. Uh, the money train robbery is another one. This is such a big, huge arc that is throughout the entire show. Um, they steal a shit ton of laundered money, and uh, most of season three's main arc really is about the repercussions of this too. Um, but they decide, you know, they hear about the money train early on, and uh, we get introduced to uh, Margos, who's the the guy with the foot fetish. Um, pretty early on and you're like oh that guy was creepy and then you mm-hmm. don't think he's going to come back up but he certainly does um doesn't Vic straight up kill him also yeah he, yeah, he does yeah. yeah in his home yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah that that's the guy that like jumped out of the police he jumps out of the police van handcuffed at like 40 miles an hour mm-hmm. and then yeah Vic ends up just straight killing him um but I mean that guy was crazy he yeah. shot a dude in the head in front of like twenty police officers. Right. Uh, man, the money train. As soon as as Vic concocted that idea, I was like, "This has got to be one of the dumbest things Vic has ever <laughs> decided to do." Like, I was like, "There's, I, I get it. The money is appealing, but man." Like, like the potential downside to this is just so astronomically high. It's the, the downside outweighs the money that you're going to get here. <laughs> well, I think the way he's looking at it is like, I got two kids mm-hmm. that are autistic. I think he's found out about the second yeah. one at that point. First of all, this is what most crooked cops say. But continue. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm not, just for the record, I'm not justifying it. But he's looking at it from the standpoint of... Yeah. If we do this, we can keep our noses clean. And you, you know damn well he's not gonna because it's too easy, right? Mm-hmm. In the flashback episode, we saw that where they're like, oh, man, you know, we're really trying to, to do this thing. And then it's like, oh, but the pressure from upstairs to get it done, okay, well, we got to cut these corners. In Vic's mind at this point, even though he's so far down the rabbit hole, he's like, if we just make this one big heist, we're robbing bad people. And now we'll have enough of a of a goose egg, you know. We'll have our little we'll have our little uh, money pot or whatever, and then we can all retire easy. All we gotta do is sit on the money for a while, and then we can just use it. And he's like, then I can go back on the straight and narrow. This will be the last time. Even though, even if they had completely gotten away with this without anybody even getting a whiff of it, you know he would have went dirty again because we see that happen. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think about the money train, Joe? Yeah, definitely repercussions throughout the entire series, entire series. You think it's big, and here's another season. Oh, that's still around. That's a big thing. That's a point of contention. That's uh, someone still out there that can find out type thing, and you'll see. <laughs> uh, it's It seems to never end. It's, it's definitely a ghost, like Terry Crawley, definitely a ghost that chases them throughout mm-hmm. the series. Well, and you can't um... – you know, you can't just get away with, like, tens of millions of dollars, especially when some of them are marked. Yeah. Um, and it's the mob's money. And, and it's, it's the, the mob's mob, money, yeah. yeah. I mean, not only that, but, like, you know, they put all the marked bills. Like, the that, that one guy that they, like, try to frame or whatever, he gets arrested with 100% of the marked bills. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay. You know, it doesn't take fucking Bruce Wayne to figure this one out. Right. 
Another Batman reference. <laughs> well, they do the thing in The Dark Knight, you know, with the marked money. Let's right. not get into... By the way, uh, if you want to catch our review for the entire Dark Knight trilogy over on Superhero Homies, you can do that. Uh, plug Absolutely. it up. Absolutely, including Joe's favorite Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, uh, yeah, where I explain thoroughly to Ace mm-hmm. that Bruce Wayne is, in fact, Batman. Thank you, by the way, for informing me. Somehow that just slipped my mind. Yeah, I, out of the, like, 90 Batman Omnis that you've read, wow. uh, somehow you missed out on that one detail that he's Batman. It's crazy. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, all right, so before we move on from season two, you guys got anything else for season two? Um, season two ends with the money train mm-hmm. cash on the table. Yeah, that's such a great shot, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, when when they all walk up and the camera pans out and they just have those tables down there and they just have this giant pile of the cash and uh, that was such a great great way to end it. Like that shot was just beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Man, you never really hear of whether it be like a bank robbery or like a complex inside job like this or or any other scenario where a group of people put together a plan and they execute it to damn well as close to perfection as they can and then they live happily ever after. Like that story just does not exist and and for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, and they, the the plan was very well executed. That one guy got shot, but that was about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, also a lot of it had to do with like the timing of it as well. Uh, where like it could have gone even more downhill, you right. know. But Vic yeah. showed up almost as late as you did tonight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn. We can edit that part out. That's fine. I don't, I'll probably <laughs> so going into season three, season three is kind of like. I think the last season where we have the kind of season one feel to the show, right? The first three seasons, honestly, honestly, if we if we wanted to break this up the way that it is in the show, I would honestly say seasons one, two, and three is part one. Season four is part two, and then seasons five, six, seven are part three. But just because of the way it is, like season four is very unique. Um, and it kind of serves as a transition between the two. Because, mm-hmm. like, season one, two, and three, it's kind of like, okay, we're kind of, like, we've still got, you know, we've got Acevedo's captain, yep. we've got Dutch that doing their thing, we've got Vic running the strike team. And those ingredients get mixed around a little bit, but not a ton, not like they do in season four. Um, season three, kind of, I think the, the biggest arc in season three is probably them putting Claudette in charge. They're kind of grooming Claudette to be captain. They put her in charge of the strike team, and they bring in the decoy squad. Yeah. Which, uh, I love the decoy squad. Yeah, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of the, like, for them to bring in, like, another special team, and then to all, like, a couple of them don't really have a whole lot of moments, but uh, Waylon two of them. and uh, what's the girl? Um, I'm trying to think of her name. I forgot her name. But she has, yeah. like, the most screen time. Yeah. Uh, they do a really good job with both of them. Um, really loved, like, seeing the strike team and the decoy squad work together. Um, and, and I think that kind of rise and fall of, like, Claudette, like, okay, we're going to make you, you know, the, the captain here and Acevedo's on his way out. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest arc of, of this season and kind of seeing how that goes. 
Uh, what did you think about the decoy squad, Ace? They were a lot of fun for me to see. And the way that the show was set up, you were kind of, or at least for me, I was already on the fence about them just from day one because, you know, you see them, like, I think the first time you see them, they're already in, like, the strike team's room, you know what I mean? Yeah. Trish is her name, by the way. Okay, Trish. Yeah. Yeah. It came to me. And it's like, man, what are you guys doing here, you know? Like, who are you uh, outsiders? And and they're... um, they're a little passive aggressive right from the get go as well, and so there's that friction there. Uh, but man, as the season goes on, you really start to warm up to them and see that okay, they're they seem to be you know good cops and decent people as well, and, and they go through their own shit. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a lot of fun for me to kind of see them, and, and then also how to see see how they warm up to the uh, strike team and vice versa. Uh, so I thought that they were uh, th- they were fun for that season, and you know. Uh, kind of wanted to see more of them, but I get it, you know. Um, well, uh, I don't know. If, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that they do come back up, right? Like, don't they come back around? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, not a ton. Not like they are in this mm-hmm. season, but they yeah. they are kind of. You'll guest see them characters. again. You'll okay. see them again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll be surprised at how many people show back up. Actually, hmm. yeah, like there's a lot of. Characters. If you haven't seen them die, Terry Crawley comes. Oh, never no, mind. If you haven't okay, seen him yeah. die, then odds <laughs> are you going to see him again. But have you seen his brother Jerry Crawley? <laughs> <laughs> Which is fucked because his brother actually is in the show. That's not his name. His name's not Jerry though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, his brother actually really is in the show. <laughs> but there is a brother named there, Jerry. There is a brother. There might be a brother named Jerry. I don't know. Um, and uh, so we got we got the Claudette arc. We got the, the decoy squad, and we kind of you, you know we see Claudette. Fuck herself out of that captain position because she's got that moral high ground, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, that comes about because they find is it a public defender? Uh, somebody from the DA's office has the issue with her, but is it related? I can't remember exactly. Well, I, I don't think it's a defender. Is it? Is, uh, I think it is a public is defender. Okay. So they find out that it's it's a lawyer for sure. Yeah. So they find it out. It might be a public defender. It may be a prosecutor. Yeah, I think it's a prosecutor because cause they is, put away. Yeah, yeah and it's, all those cases have to all be. All the cases yeah. would have to be redone. Yeah, yeah. they find out it's, that she was like part of a drug ring or whatever, and she was like using, and that she was basically high as balls while she was trying all those cases. <laughs> right. So then, like, the DA gets hit with like 200 appeals or whatever. And. Pisses them the fuck off. Yeah. Because Claudette sure would. wouldn't keep her mouth shut about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, because they were like. She sent it up the line or. Whatever. Yeah, they were like, well, we'll just, you know, you know, kind of put this under the table or whatever. But all that's like, no, I mean, like, she was high in court. We can prove that. So, and and that ends up costing her the the captain position. So. Yeah, I mean that that really bit Claudette in the ass when she pursued that, you know, because all those cases that the DEA had had been working on or even closed had to be overturned or reevaluated and. Just, you know, kind of fucked their whole day up, but, yeah, you know, what can you do? No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, and, and that's the truest form of that right there. Yeah, yeah. you know, it wasn't necessarily a good deed. It was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we got the fallout from the money train. Now, uh, I think Shane fucks this up, too. Oh, um, really? Shane yeah. fucks something up? Because uh, doesn't Shane end up... So Aceveda originally doesn't have them for this. Like, he's not thinking that they did it until Shane, I think, mentions the bar where they planted 
the money at where the was it Shane or Vic that mentioned it? I, think I it was thought Vic. it was Shane, but it could have been Vic because Dutch picks up on that. That's right. It yeah. was Dutch picks up on it. Yeah. So that kind of starts him on like, hey, I think the strike team did it, and then Acevedo like really is like, oh, I got something I can get Vic Mackey for <laughs> on my way out. <laughs> you know, um, that scene, that episode where they. Steal the the numbers to the Mark Bills mm-hmm. out of Acevedo's office. Oh my god! Oh. The, my heart rate. It was so yeah. intense. It, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, I mean, like the way that that is shot was, and 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 the writing there was just tremendous. Like that amount of tension that they create. Yeah, because everything goes wrong. You know. Yeah, like it's, it's not yes. a simple in and out. Yeah, um, you, you would think it would be easier than. Stealing tens of millions of dollars from the mob, but it was not. Nope. Yeah. $60 Walmart safe. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's nothing special. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got the fallout from the money train. Everybody's after them. The, the mob is after them. Mm-hmm. The Armenian mob is They're chopping uh, feet off. It's cutting people's feet off, left and right, trying to find out who did this shit. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Exactly. And they, um, that that uh, that alone, I thought, built up a lot of tension just because at first the Armenians started cannibalizing their own because surely this is an inside job, right? It's with, with their, and nobody else knew about it. Yeah, no one else knew about it. So it's got to be one of our own who did it. And then, you know, after all, they're going to run out of people. You know, they're going to yeah. run out of feet. Yeah. <laughs> And then the guy, there's like the guy that they pinned it on, he turns up missing his feet, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh shit! And that's that's when like Vic and those guys are like starting to realize, okay, they're gonna eventually find out that it was us. They're not stopping. And yeah. that's when they end up going after Margos's crazy ass. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Dutch and Claudette's kind of main arc here, really more Dutch's arc. We have the cuddler rapist. Uh Old lady color rapist. Yeah, yeah. Particularly uh, older ladies here. And it turns out to be Clark Gregg, a.k.a. Uh, <laughs> Agent Coulson. And, and it's so funny because the first time I watched this, I never picked up on the fact that, like, like when I when I saw Coulson later, I never went, oh, that's the rapist guy from The Shield. Mm. Until I watched The Shield again, and I was like, what the fuck? Because yep. yep. <laughs> um, I'm such a big fan of Agent Coulson anyway. Yeah. Uh, that whole arc to me though is is probably one of the the whole like a detective chases a serial killer has been done to death. Mm-hmm. Sure, but I thought that this was like one of the best examples of that I've ever seen. Yeah, how about Colson's wife? Oh man, <laughs> talk about a Karen. The oh, the denial. Tell tell him you didn't do this. He's like, go home. Yeah, get out of here. I'm confessing right now, mm-hmm. you know. Joanna is her. Is name. that it? Okay. Yeah. Well, and then Dutch tries to do the whole like you know sweep back in later thing, and uh, and I think Dutch pretty quickly finds out that she's off. Even for him, even Dutch ain't desperate enough to go there. He's like, this bitch is off the rails. Yes. Yeah. And she ends up shooting Danny <laughs> later yeah. on, and, yeah. and and I mean that was. I like the way that they built that up, like, mm-hmm. as far as, like, she just is becoming more and more paranoid or whatever, and then next thing you know, she ends up shooting Danny um, as a result of it, and then that that whole thing kind of fizzles out, too, but it, that, that arc had gone to its completion, I, I think. Yeah. We get that amazing episode where Dutch does the interrogation. Yeah. 
with uh, with Colson. Yeah, that interrogation uh, I thought was great. Again, just because uh, you know it was it was Dutch wanting because the Dutch has always been kind of fascinated with with these kind of serial killers or, or rapists people who have that that kind of sick mentality. You know, because from Dutch from Dutch's point of view, if he can understand what makes them tick, then he can, you know, not minority report the, the these situations, but get to them more quickly, and then you know, maybe maybe be a better detective or whatever. And from uh, Evil Coulson's point of view, like his whole thing is, you're the detective. You caught me. Help me figure out what what is it this thing that I'm feeling. And they kind of go through this whole back and forth. Uh, you do it for power. No, it's not that. You do it for, you know, this reason. No, no, that's not it either. And uh, like, kind of the end result of that is like, no, you you really you don't you don't get it. Never mind. And yeah. uh, and and you can tell that kind of drives Dutch a little crazy. Right, because Dutch believes at this point that he understands, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's clear to him at this time that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like. Uh, you can't help me. I'm going back to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, does it? Whoa, 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 wait, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. And and he's like giving him, well, you're this, and he goes, that's just you're just throwing out labels. Right. We well, don't right. label me. Yeah, let's just, let's figure this out. I mean, he's yeah. he's genuinely trying to figure it out. I don't right. fit in your in these boxes that yeah. you learned in college or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention, and this is because this is more of a season two and three thing, is in season two we get a new member of Strike Team. Uh, we get uh, Tavon, who's played by Brian White, and I actually really like Tavon. Um, you know, they they suggest that like an all white unit, you know, kicking down doors in a minority neighborhood is not a good look, which they're correct. And uh, in season two, they kind of interview a couple people, and then uh, Vic settles on Tavon, and he is uh, in season two and three, and he's pretty instrumental in kind of the the decimation of the strike team. In season three, because in season three we see the strike team really fall apart, and kind of at the root of that is Lim and Shane, who on the strike team are at the opposite ends of the moral spectrum, and Lim is pretty close to Tavon. They have a good relationship. Shane is a fucking racist and an <laughs> asshole. So you can see you can see how all these uh, ingredients uh, start to not mix, and then you also throw Mara into the situation, and, and you know, uh, and a iron. We all know. <laughs> we all know that one person who they're an all right guy or whatever. It's usually a guy. I'm not saying this can't be a girl too, but we all know that one person that they're all right unless they're dating somebody, mm-hmm. and then they just become completely unfucking irredeemable. Like hit me up when y'all break up. Mm-hmm. We all know a person like that. Right. That's fucking Shane Mandrell because he's awful before Mara, but once he's got Mara, he's worse. You know, it's it's crazy because they're both so awful. <laughs> like I I can't stand. Like I, I can I can I can take Shane by himself. Like in small doses, I can deal with Shane. But Shane and Mara together, I'm like, oh, oh, and don't let them be having a good time. Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> this is the worst. Get them off my screen right now. And I think I even told you this, like, right around the time I was like, man, 
Tavon's a really cool character. I like him. It's about the time that the shit hits the fan with him. And by shit, I mean the iron. And, and by the fan, I mean Tavon's head. Uh, and I was like, God damn it. Shane, it's always Shane. Every time, I mean, in this case, it was technically Mara, but the shit could have been avoided completely if it wasn't for Shane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Shane, you know, they seem to kind of hash it out. And then as Tavon's leaving, Shane's like, yeah, well, just so you know. Yeah. Like, I'm Vic's best friend. You're never going to replace this. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. And then he drops the N-word on him. or, or he, he calls you know, him a darkie. I was going to say, yeah. he uses yeah. a few other, like, yeah. little lower-level ones, mm-hmm. like darkie. And I think he's even... There was another one he used in the series mm-hmm. that's just enough of a little yeah. little scratch right there. And Tavon's like, oh, no, we're, yeah. not, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and Tavon, you know, can whoop Shane, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Yeah. So he sure. needed a little help. But, yeah, that's what – it looked like it was all right. But then yep. Shane's ego just came climbing up to say hello. Yeah, he couldn't. Tavon damn near dies as a result of yeah. this. Oh man! Like after the car crash, I was like, "Oh, he's dead." Yeah. yeah. Like his corpse. I mean, his corpse. His body looked looked <laughs> ragged. Look like off. a damn corpse. Yeah. 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 It, usually, it, usually, if you are in a car wreck and at the end of the wreck you are no longer in the car, <laughs> it's generally yeah. not good. Yeah. You're pretty. You're usually done. He was mm-hmm. crumpled up on the pavement. Yeah. And the dude was was uh, severely concussed mm-hmm. before that. Yeah. And bleeding from the back of his head before the car wrecked. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's crazy, right? Because like you, you would think that even with Vic working with Shane and Lamb to get all this kind of covered up, you would think that the, still the doctors would be like, "This car wreck doesn't explain the iron-shaped crevice <laughs> in the back of his head." Well, I mean, honestly, they probably didn't dig that far, you know. To be mm-hmm. honest, it's probably like. Oh, this guy came in with all these wounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're really only focused on saving them. Yeah. So, because they don't, the doctors aren't going to see the scene. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, true. All they're going to know is, oh, we found this guy ejected from his vehicle. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and and, and you know, this kind of causes the strike team to fall apart too, because not only was Lim not on board with the money train and like everything that keeps happening, but. You know, also, uh, Lim finds out about this bullshit with Tavon, and then they even had the nerve to ask Lim to get mm-hmm. them out of it by lying to him and trying to convince him that what happened isn't what happened. And this is a recurring theme, uh, theme for, for Lim, where it's like Lim's on the straight and narrow, Shane does some dumb shit, and then Lim has to go in and, and get him out of it. Yep. You know? And uh, he's pretty much had it at this point. So, at the end of the season, strike teams basically no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Vic and Ronnie, because Ronnie still isn't a character at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> he's Vic's IT guy. And, uh, and then Lim goes off to work in Juvie. And uh, Shane decides to go work in Vice, which is absolutely where Shane Vendrell should be. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, by, by the way, I just, you know, I, I guess like the, the silver lining to all this is that I, I know that Shane and Mara's baby is going to be just like just the, the, the greatest person when he grows up. Just Oh, yeah? Spot on. Got to be. Yeah. With sure. parents like that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Destined for greatness. Yeah, destined. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
anything before we move uh, on to season four? Oh, did we talk about uh, kind of a small thing here? But uh, Shane, oh, not Shane, but uh, Mara's mom getting involved. Oh, God. There were so many things where it was like. I think Mara's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till you read her mom. Mara's mom is awful. Like, Shane is ultimately the reason that, like, they're going to find out it's them. Because they bought the Lexus mm-hmm. and like they're giving their mom all the you know this random money, she finds out there's more. Yeah, you know and they're like, oh well, you need you to keep your mouth shut about it. She's like, well, how much you got? You yeah, know? like oh you know if you give me some more money, I'll keep my mouth shut maybe. Yeah, you know, until I need to turn that screw again. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Ace Aveda searching the uh, the storage unit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, the money was moved by that point. Uh, Cletus Van Dam. Yes. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> you can't forget about Cletus Van Dam, right? Oh my God! Yeah. That that whole thing. Uh, we got any other favorite moments from these first three seasons? Has has in season three did Lim make his move? On the money at this point. Yeah, he burns it. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that was yeah. in season three. I thought so because that end. that kind of led to a part of the breakup for the team as well. Yeah, but, I mean he's mm-hmm. basically like, look, I'm not letting this tear us apart. Yeah, you know. I mean, because look at all the. It's like the money's cursed, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's like constantly horrible shit <laughs> yes. happens to them yeah. from the moment they first get it. You know, mm-hmm. it is almost like it's cursed. And uh, it it was. A little uh, hilarious for me when they finally, when, when you know, they're, they're looking for Lim because Lim took off and they don't know where he's at. And Vic's like, oh, I know where he went. And so they go looking for him and you just see Lim tossing the money into the furnace. And even when, like, they subdue him, he's still throwing half yeah. of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I love both of you. But if I caught you burning my money like that, uh, I don't know. That, it's for the it's for the best, Caleb. Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know if our friendship extends <laughs> that far. Uh, I don't know. Did, did I steal it from the mob? I guess that would probably, you know, that would probably affect how I would feel yeah. about it. What's a few million dollars between friends, though? You know, uh, I hope we never have to come across <laughs> that. Like I don't think I'll ever have that, so I don't think we'll ever have to cross that bridge. And I, I'm thankful for that right now. No. I will uh, say this, though. If you watch that scene, that money looks really fake. It does, yeah. It's, it's one of the few flaws uh, that's really glaringly obvious. Well, it didn't look that fake in 480p. Mm. Sure. You know, yeah. back then. Hand cam. But now that you watch it on the Blu-ray, and it's yeah. like crisp as fuck. You're like, yeah. that's Party City money. Yeah, if that. Yeah. Dollar General. Yeah. Dollar General. Yeah. It's got the little Dollar General guy on yeah. it. Yeah. You know? oh, Big yeah. old dollar sign in the middle like that. Right. Monopoly, man. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. it's bad. Yeah, it is It is super fake money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How much did they end up with? It was just like a, what was it? Like a, was it 30 grand each? Something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. 30, 40. Yeah. It was next to nothing. No, no it, it had to have been a little more than that because... It might have been 60. Yeah, it's 65. Mm. Uh, you've got to the point where Vic gives Corinne the bag. Yeah. Yeah, so there were 65000 in there. Okay, yeah. You'll find yeah. that out later, yeah. 65000 in the bag. So it had to have been at least that much. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
I mean, again, even though at, at the end of season three, I think I told you this too. Like uh, they asked Lem to to meet up with them, you know, and like in this dark alley, <laughs> yeah. you know, late at night, no one's around, and I was like, oh no, 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 no. I thought that they were gonna try to do something to Lem for, you know, <laughs> destroying the money. Uh, but thankfully, no, uh, that wasn't the case. They wanted to kind of squash everything, you know, and, and move on together as a unit. Uh, and then again, Shane Vendrell fucks it up. <laughs> <laughs> just opens his mouth. Hey, at least he's yeah. consistent. He's very consistent. You can always trust Shane to do, like, the worst-case scenario. Yeah, like, it's like, well, I wonder what would be the worst thing that could happen here. And then Shane Vendrell's like, I got it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, there will be some disagreements now, I think, uh, at the table. And, and, you know, I think I'm going to have you tie break here. So, to me, and you haven't seen the whole show, but to Mm -hmm. me, season four is my favorite season. Hands down. I could, I think the first time I watched season four, I think it it was like, it had all come out. And I think I watched it in a day. Like, I think I sat there and watched the whole season. And I very recently watched it in two chunks. Like that, you know, I love that season. Joe is his least favorite season. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you feel about season four? Okay, so it's interesting because I actually understand both of your points of view. Uh, because I think that season four, uh, and then this will divide people, is so, it feels so different from the first three seasons. Right. It is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's still functionally definitely the same show, but it it feels so different, and it's a departure from those first three seasons. And, and like even without seeing season five, I can tell that this is definitely like its own standalone season. Whereas seasons one, two, and three kind of lean on each other. Season four, it feels like it's kind of on an island by itself. It's a very good island, you know, great island. But I can I can kind of feel where season five, at least the way that season four ends off, I really feel like season five is going to be kind of back on, uh, kind of telling more of a long form story. Whereas season four does kind of feel like something that another Batman reference. It, for me, it feels like how the Dark Knight sits between Begins and Rises. Whereas you can definitely say that Begins and Rises is, is telling like kind of that straight A to B story. But in the middle here, you have uh, the Dark Knight that kind of sits in between those two. It uh, doesn't take away, but uh, it doesn't kind of further the, the long-term story as well. But I I like season four. I don't know if I would say it's my, my favorite. It took me a while to get warmed up to it, you know, honestly. Um, I think it definitely has the best acting. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. But, I mean, but that's because we bring in Glenn Close and Anthony mm-hmm. Anderson and... Um, uh, Michael Pena as and well. Michael Pena, yeah, who who eventually speaks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Took, Army doesn't say a whole lot. Yeah, it took a while for him to speak. Uh, I I really like season four though. I just uh, it did take me a little bit to get warmed up to. I would say that mm-hmm. season five is an even larger departure. Oh, if I'm wrong from the first three seasons. I would say. I'm not sure. It's. So, so one, two, and three to me are, like I said before, they're their own thing, and I think in season four, 
season four is such a different show because, uh, and it's the same show, but it, it's got a different feel to it because for the majority of season four, Vic actually is on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Like, Vic is, like, devoted to the cause. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got his shit together. He actually respects Rawling. And Rawling is a captain that, like, she's probably one of my favorite characters, even though she's only in the one season. Mm-hmm. I love her character in this. Absolutely. Like, every every time, I, I'm a huge Glenn Close fan anyway, but this is why. This is, yeah. this, this is this show. Um, and Vic is, all intents and purposes, for Vic, this is as good as it gets. Like, he's, he's on the straight and narrow, and you don't want to see him deviate from that. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, also in this season, too, is you get to see where Shane has decided to... He's he's flown the nest, right? Like, yep. I'm not, you know, I'm not your whipping boy anymore, Vic. I'm my own guy, blah, blah, blah. Shane thinks he's ready to make the big dog decisions. He kind of thinks that he's kind of looking at Army like Vic looked at him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I got my own partner, you know. I'm doing my own thing, and you really see like the depths of what that looks like when Shane Madrill is allowed to make autonomous decisions. Yeah, it goes to shit real quick. Yeah, real fast. Yeah, and then we got to talk about Antoine Mitchell, like mm-hmm. Anthony Anderson. I don't know how he has not been cast in more villain roles because he fucking kills this for me. Yeah, I well. Technically, he he was a villain in Romeo Must Die. He played like henchman number two. Yeah, he got monkey flipped out of a building by Jet Li. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I think for me, like uh, Antoine Mitchell, it took it took probably a good four episodes or so before I was like, okay, now now the ball is finally rolling with him, because uh, up until a certain moment in the season. He was just always spoken about as like this, you know, evil person that can't be trusted and manipulator. And I was like, he just seems like a, he's not a good guy, but I don't see anything special about him yet. And, and But then once he flips and, you know, he shoots the girl in front of uh, Shane and Army, you know, and, and, and using their bullets. I mean, it. then at that moment, he really began to look like uh, an actual threat. And, and this was kind of like, um, you know, this is a deep cut, but, like, going back to, like, Guardians 3, this is kind of like more what you were talking about that you wanted to see from, like, the high evolutionary. Yeah. Where, like, he's not on all the time. Mm-hmm. He's chill until that moment where he isn't. And, right. And, and and Antoine Mitchell is definitely that. Yeah. You know, so See, I didn't think the season even got good until they shot the girl. Mm. That's when it really finally turned up for me. Well, that is definitely when you realize, like, okay, like, this is where we're going with it, you know. And you really don't know until the end, like, what side of it Shane's going to be on until he has that meeting with Vic. Mm-hmm. Because when, when Mitchell puts the hit out on Vic, you're like, well, I don't think Shane would kill Vic, but it's fucking Shane Mandrell, so <laughs> he might. Yeah, I think if he didn't have, you know, his, his shitty wife and a shitty kid at home, then maybe... Uh, he 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 would never even think about it, but he does have a shitty wife and a shitty kid at home. Why so, kids shitty? Because look look at the parents. It's, 
I, I was, I was, that was hyperbole earlier. You know, I, I wasn't serious. His, his kid's going to be shitty when he Man. grows up. <laughs> hey, you know, it is. I don't make Where's the rules. Where's that Haterade you were drinking earlier? Good grief. <laughs> hey, he obviously drank it all. Yeah. <laughs> but I agree with you, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, honestly, like, the highlight of this season, when they have the interrogation between mm-hmm. Rawling and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Mitchell, that whole, like, both of them, Glenn Close and Anthony Anderson, just bringing out all the acting chops. Oh yeah, with with Vic in the room, like all that that whole interrogation scene was so masterful because Vic is covering for Mitchell, mm-hmm. even though he really can't. Vic has no idea what Rawling has up her sleeve, and Rawling just goes ape shit. I mean, yeah. she goes completely off the rails here. And Anthony Anderson, like the acting in that episode was was tremendous, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really dug how like as that episode kind of went on, you could see Vic getting more uncomfortable and, and out of control of the situation and not really knowing where to go. But for me as a viewer, uh when they had the in, in uh, the uh, interrogation, I was like, Man, this is like episode like, I think like eleven out of thirteen and I was like, well, they, they got Mitchell. Like, what the hell are we going to do for the next two episodes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the next two episodes delivered. So, yeah. yeah. Um, it's definitely interesting that, you know, we kind of see Rawling comes in with this whole, kind of like Claudette has early on. Like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix everything. You know, I see where everything is broken, and I'm going to come in and, and fix it. And Rawling is, you know, she's kind of like Claudette in season three. Like, she's, morally, she's there. But she doesn't know the politics side of it. She's not willing to play the game. Not the one we just lost, but. um, (laughs) But she gets outplayed by Aceveda over and over again. Yeah. You know, Aceveda is Lucy holding the football. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, well, I'll have this meeting and you can come talk about your policy. And then he uses it to basically undermine her. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, I'll go to bat with you for the, with the lease committee, whatever, whatever. And mm-hmm. then it ends up that, you know, he, uh, Antoine Mitchell's in charge, you know, he actually was responsible for these cop killings. And Aceveda ends up basically brokering a witness protection deal for him. And that scene as well where uh, her and Vic bust in his office was amazing. I was like, this this scene right here is why you got like forked yeah. out the money to get Glenn Close, because she said everything to Aceveda there that we were all thinking. Oh yeah. <laughs> and how'd you guys feel about like Aceveda's play of innocence there? Well, it was out of my hand, guys. It was the, <laughs> the DEA forced my hand on this one. Yeah. I'm on your side here. If I can do anything to, uh, oh yeah. my gosh, you're such a. He's better at that stuff. Yeah, than she is. Yeah. That's why he was able to play her for mm-hmm. the entire season. He's he's, uh, he's done this. Yeah. He's the fucking Joker sitting at uh, Harvey Dent's bedside, you know. Oh yeah. I wouldn't know what to do with a car <laughs> if I caught one. You know, I'm a dog chasing cars. It's another Batman reference for you, Joe. Yeah. Well, that was actually from a watchable movie. Oh fuck. Anyway, um, so <laughs> the uh, the kind of overarching plot with with Rawling, where she ends up, you know with her own foot in her mouth, ultimately, is she's going to implement uh, an asset forfeiture policy. So basically, 
if you get caught with drugs or whatever, then they can take your property, they auction it off. And it sounds good, right? Like, you know, because the barn is obviously run down, they don't have any funding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a it's going to be a way for them to, to improve things in Farmington. And it, and it is actually working to a great extent, but... You know, people like Julian and some others are like, and Acevedo are highlighting some actual problems with it. Now, Acevedo was against it from day one because he didn't think of it, and he still wanted to be in charge of everything, and that's why you're just like, fuck Acevedo for this whole season. Uh, but, uh, you know, Rowling is, is, she's bought in. You know, she's not backing down from this at all. And I think Claudette more accurately, like, kind of points out a lot of the issues with it. Like, when they go to auction the property off, okay, well, it's a bunch of people from, like, Beverly, Beverly Hills and shit coming to mm-hmm. build on the property. So this is also, like you said, gentrification with extra steps. Yeah. You know, you're just taking these people's stuff, and then you're, you know, auctioning off the highest bidder, and the highest bidder are a bunch of old, rich white people. Right. So um, what what you think about that, that whole arc and, like, how that would work in reality? Like, you know, because obviously you're familiar with. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the federal government does seize assets. I mean, I see indictments and plea agreements come across my desk every day that say forfeiture of whatever. Generally, it's the gun you had in the crime mm. or the computer you used for the child porn. It's generally stuff like that. But I will tell you, we had an individual who was very good at drug dealing. So good, in fact, he had five or six houses completely paid off his father or mother was living in one rent free right he was living in one these these are three hundred thousand dollars and yeah these aren't you know like not in today money like this is like no this was three years ago yeah okay yeah that's like twice the house i can show you a news article after we get done with it show you guys name and everything three hundred thousand today is like this room you know yeah yeah (laughs) prior to the boom prior to the boom um but it's like a whole house, yeah. yeah. But and then he had, I don't know, you know, just fifty grand just in his checking account. That's just one of those. Um, he was very smart. He did a lot of things. Uh, he was an individual that he would take his drug money and go. He'd have a hundred grand in drug money. He would literally purchase hundred thousand dollars worth of lottery tickets and lose forty percent of his money. But, but guess what? Guess what you just did? You money laundered. Yeah. And where'd you get that sixty grand? My lottery ticket right here. It might have taken him all hundred grand to get the Mm -hmm. sixty, but But he had he had a way to show it. Right? He was renting four or five these were all in Atlanta, by the way. Four or five of those houses. So he's got clean income coming from those, which were paid for through Mm -hmm. this whole process. So, long story uh, short, when I looked at what they were seizing from him, it took one house. And I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> wait, a minute. After that shit. Wait, wait a minute, just what? <laughs> He's got still got all this money in the bank. He's still got all this rental income. He can't use it, per yeah. se. He's going to prison for a long time. But it was just like, I guess y'all aren't that aggressive. You know? He also, had plenty. If anybody at home would like to learn more about how to launder money, you can watch Ozark on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm still waiting on Netflix to finish the show, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, we had that conversation. Yeah, so I just know that I need to to restart. Yeah, we're gonna have to do suits next. Are you liking it? You still yeah. watching it? Yeah, I'm. I'm only I don't know, 
five, six episodes in. But yeah. I'm doing about one or two a day. Yeah, okay. Because that, that's, a, that's a great show. Have you seen that? No. Yeah. It's actually on Netflix, so... Yeah, Kay and I are actually mm-hmm. watching through it also. She's never seen it either. Yeah, I knew you recommended it. it, and I, I I don't know if I just either just didn't ever jump on it, or I thought, eh, I'm not sure if that one's for me. So get this shit. It was on Prime, and they just put it on Netflix. Yeah. So, like, Prime just lost it, and Netflix just got it in the middle of us watching it. So now I've lost our place. i got to figure out where we were at. Yeah, it popped up, like, last week. Yeah. So, hmm. It's as, like... As a suggested or something. It's like the number two show on Netflix right yeah. now. It's getting a lot of traction. So. Yeah. Really... Really great show. Complete opposite of this one. Yeah. But. So, the asset forfeiture thing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this television version was way more aggressive. Right. right. But it's also, as opposed to the example I gave, the real-life example I gave, Grandma only got the one house. Yeah. <laughs> and you took it. You know, it's one of those, can you not use some discretion? Right. But I see her point. When does the discretion... Okay, it's not Grandma, it's Mom. Mm-hmm. She's got one kid. She's got six kids. The whole family's there. You know, it's one of those, yep. if I shoot you in the leg, i got to shoot the rest of these people in the leg when mm-hmm. I have, have a deadly force situation. So it's got to be across the board or nothing. So yeah. I understand that. But it does bite her. Yeah. So. Well, she puts the strike team back together. Yep. And you get that kind of moment, that the Avengers moment, yeah. where they're all you know, in the barn together or whatever. Yeah. And Minus Tavon. Yeah, right. Minus, minus Tavon. I'm really glad that they didn't try to stretch that out too long. Mm -hmm. I think it's like four episodes. You get them all kind of back together for the most part. Uh, And that's about the time you find out what Shane's really fucking into. You know? Like, like this dude has been... I think there's six months between seasons three and four. And, like, Shane Mandrell... So, in six months, Shane Mandrell is running a hooker ring. Uh, (laughs) He's... Busting drug dealers and taking a bunch of their product, and he's gotten in bed with fucking Antoine Mitchell in just six months. Yeah. He, he's doing great for himself. Yeah. Uh, I also, uh, you know, we, so we've got Claudette and Dutch trying to get out from under the DA here, and I really like this arc where Dutch can't stand it anymore. He goes to the DA and basically plays the Masseveda mm-hmm. underhanded shit. Um, I love the interactions between... Rawling and Claudette here, where Claudette's just like, you bitch, that's my job. And she thinks that Rawling is involved in the whole thing. Rawling goes and finds out, like, oh, yeah, this big-time drug dealer we had you bust that had three marijuana plants in his backyard, giving it to his friends, you know. Uh, he was going to be, you know, a witness in a in a trial or whatever. They didn't want him on the stand. Yeah. So, you know, Claudette, being a fucking detective, immediately is mm-hmm. like, well, if you didn't fuck me, and, like, that scene between the two of them is just so good because you can see, like, you don't want them to be fighting. Yeah. You, you love them. But, like, you also can see where both of them are coming from, right? Like, Dutch is getting nothing but shitty cases. Claudette's standing, you know, got the moral high ground. I love the line that uh, that he drops where, uh, you know, uh, Rawling is out there going crazy, like, just doing her thing like she does. And, um... You know, and Dutch is like, what's she doing? And Claudette's like, she's standing on her soapbox. And he goes, uh-huh. did uh, she bring her own or she borrow yours? Yeah. I love that line. Yes. That was a great line. Yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you, I have seen stuff like that as like a passive aggressive, I'm going to put you in your place, things like that. Mm. Actually, I've, I've brought this up before and some people have agreed with me. 
in my office, and some people have said, eh, you may be overthinking that one. But I asked a question of a superior once, and I think he took it as a challenge when it was just legitimately a, hey, what about this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I got a case out of Florida that, to tell you, it was one of the more in difficult cases I've ever dealt with, not just logistically, but overall it took it took about 18 months to resolve this one case wow and my boss said yeah well so and so said to give this specifically to you because you could handle it three days after i asked that question you see what i'm saying you you know ahead of time this is just odd we don't take this florida you know the Mm -hmm. whole thing was just off and i feel like that was one of those don't don't come to me with that kind of stuff anymore yeah I mean, that kind of, I mean, I, I can absolutely see this level of, like, petty bullshit yeah. happening because, I mean, you know, if somebody caused you to get 200 extra cases, you'd be mad at them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Especially if they were already, you know, processing everything and it's like, oh, we got to reopen all mm-hmm. these. Yeah. I mean, I was on the phone with these people from Florida going, how do y'all handle this stuff down here? Can you send me some information? Like, this went on for a long time. And then the guy had a, a lot of mental illness stuff going on. Oh. And so the defense attorney asked for and got, I know that we're chasing a rabbit here, but asked for and got a basically a suspended sentence to send him to a mental health treatment program inpatient, right, until he gets better. So literally I have to track this case for possibly the rest of my career. Oh, you know what I'm saying? I can't just close it. Yeah, it right. doesn't work like that. He hasn't actually been sentenced. Until that happens, it's sitting. It's open. So do you follow what I'm like, that's just one aspect of the difficulty with this yeah. case. And I'm like, really? God. Really? <laughs> I hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you, know? yeah, really? yeah. you fucked up. Um, so this season kind of ends... Um, you know, they broker the DEA deal, and Rawling plays her hand again. And she kind of, she steps over the line here, and she fucks around and finds out. Um, yeah. So in order to get uh, get Antoine's deal taken away, they go after the guy that the DEA was trying to bust. And uh, they're not very slick about it. Uh, they end up getting the guy, but at the end of the day, like, Antoine Mitchell does end up going to jail for the, uh, you know, killings of the two officers. But Rowling loses her job over it. I thought they handled this exit very well. Yeah. Um, it never felt like, okay, here's just these guest characters, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if like when you're when you're halfway through season four, you can completely see Glenn Close just being on the on the show. Yeah. From then on, you know, it doesn't feel like she's gonna make an exit. Yeah, and uh, and that just kind of made it more impactful at the end when she gets canned. And because at first, like, if I didn't know any better, I would probably just assumed they're just threatening, but, she, you know, they're going to find a way, you know, for her to stick around or, but then I was like, oh, no, 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 she's out of here. And, uh, I mean, that was, I mean, super bold. Obviously, they knew that going into this. I mean, I'm not sure how much it costs to get Glenn Close on a season of television, but I'm sure the number is not low. Right. She's uh, probably the highest paid person on this list. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um but I thought she did stellar throughout this and the in the ending, I mean she was just so obsessed with getting Antoine Mitchell and 
a lot of it sure was for professional reasons, but a lot of it was also personal with her. And a lot of that came out during the interrogation episode. And, and just to kind of see how this whole thing ends, how she, you know, willingly, you know, sends Vic and, and his crew, hey, go get this done, go, you know, before. So they're chasing the clock at one point because Antoine, he's turning over all the information that he has on his connect. And, you know, so it's up to the strike team now to kind of find this out and, and, and to and to get this shit turned over before Antoine can, you know, finish uh, snitching, basically. And, and it was just so, uh, it was tense. And to see them get that done was really cool to see. But the end result was... Uh, it's one of those things where you have to wonder, well, was it worth it? Right. Yeah, I mean, because I think, I think if Rawlings stays on as captain, the rest of the show, like, things change drastically. Um, because her not being the captain there is going to lead into some shit. Because as Claudette says, and you don't know who it's going to be yet, but as Claudette says, they're going to get try to get a corporate yes man jellyfish. Jellyfish, and They yeah. try to get Dutch. They try to get Dutch, yeah. And I was like, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, nah, yeah. I'm not that. Yeah. And, and speaking of Aceveda being a fucking sniveling little worm, uh-huh. the scene where they actually let her go, Aceveda and Phillips are both, neither one of them can look at her. No. You know, yeah. they're both just cowardly as hell. Like, we don't we, we don't want to deliver this this information. Mm-hmm. You know. And there goes Aceveda again with like, I did everything I could, you know, but it's like, oh, okay. He's so, the worst. Yeah. So uh, the kind of big cliffhanger here at the end is we know that Rawling had had uh, internal affairs looking into the strike team because she was trying to prove that they were clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and once the shit with Vendrell happens, uh, she's like, no, no, stay on them. Because they apparently followed Vic for six months, didn't find anything, and they're like, oh, wow, okay, you know, he's really keeping his nose clean, which he was. But when the Shane, you know, when the they're about to, when Shane comes clean as they're digging up Angie's body, you, are. you know, she's like, nah, something ain't right here. So she tells Ivy to stay on him. And at the end of the season, uh, we find out that when uh, Lemansky lifted the heroin, uh, he takes uh, the guy that buried Angie's body, his name was Patario, and uh, Lemansky took his stash in order to make sure he was telling the truth. Uh, and, uh, we find out that, uh, the Amolia, the, uh, the guy's girlfriend or whatever she is, uh, has basically is a CI, not only for Vic, but also for internal affairs. And she, you know, has revealed that he took the heroin and they, you know, they've already found the heroin, documented it. Uh, and they replaced it with a non-narcotic substance, which it's interesting because they later traded that heroin mm-hmm. uh, on the show. That is going to come back up, uh, and that's kind of the big cliffhanger. It's like we've got the they have one of the strike team members now dead to rights. They know he took the heroin. They got a witness. They have it on videotape taking the heroin out of his vehicle, and they know that he never turned it into evidence. So. And, of course, it's Lim. It's the moral backbone. Yep. It's the guy who is actually on the straight and narrow. Yep. Um, and that is, uh, you know, when Claudette finds, or not Claudette, but when Rawling finds out about it, she's just like, well, I just got fired. So. Yeah, it's somebody else's problem. 
But she does try to warn Vic in that last scene at her house. I, she could have did a better job of warning him. You know, she, she could have, but you gotta remember, Rawling is not trying to protect the dirty cop. That's I not know. her. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're right. She is on the straight and narrow. You know, she's she's about getting it done, but mm-hmm. she's not she's not about to protect the dirty cop, especially not if you know they end up tied up in the murder of a little girl. Yeah, I will say this: she seems uh, she seems more morally flexible. Maybe that's not the right word, but she seems more understanding of Vic than, say, uh, Aceveda, you know. Oh, for sure. Um, But I'm not saying that she would condone all the nasty shit that Vic has done, but she's she's not dumb, you know. She's very intelligent. I think that she kind of had Vic mostly figured out very early on uh, what type of person he is and how he works and how he gets the results that he gets. And I think that she was really trying to see if she could make him conform to working within a more malleable way. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like the ending of this season uh, because I mean, she basically just gives him like the most cryptic as warning that someone can get, you know, uh, saying everything while saying nothing, you know, like, what do you see this ending for you? Uh, he said, I don't know, probably season seven. Um, Joe, what did you think about the end of season four? Like, do you remember like how you felt about it when you first watched it? Uh, I don't remember how I felt about it when I first watched it, um, but you know, it always leaves you wanting more. Right. And I didn't love that season, so I was kind of glad. And I, you're gonna hate this, but I was kind of glad to see Glenn Close finish out. Not a fan. Yeah. Oh, I mean, really? I like her, obviously, but. And I liked her more than Anthony Anderson. So the two that you loved this season, I was just kind of like, what was the show that Anthony Anderson did? It was like an after-school special. Yeah. Um, so he did uh, Blackish. With, no, but this was way back. Oh, it way had back to do when? With basketball. See, I think it, I it think, was like right after Saved by the Bell. Oh. It came out right in that time frame. And he was a yep. kid. Then. Well, I mean, he did Kangaroo Jack. I don't know what that is. <laughs> to, to me, man, Antoine Mitchell is like as close as they get to like a, you know, like a um, Stringer Bell level villain on the whole show. Like, you know, like he is just like, to me, he's not as evil as Armadillo in the, from the standpoint of like, he's out here just trying to cause mass chaos, right? Like, uh, you know, he, but but he definitely would not like. There's no length he won't go to either. Like him and him and Vic are kind of like that. Like they're both like kind of the uh, they'll go to any lengths. Didn't to, he say that to Vic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean they'll they will both do anything to to see their own ends taken care of. So yeah, I, I mean uh, I, I loved Antoine Mitchell at, just in general. Show, so. Yes, who's been your favorite uh, villain so far? Villain? Well, not, in terms not of including Acevedo or yeah, you can include Acevedo. Yeah, antagonist. Yeah. Definitely Acevedo. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah. We didn't talk about like his sexual assault or his uh, yeah. his side hooker or any of that. Well, and that's the thing too is like you know we see that in season four, mm-hmm. like he's willing to do the same shit Vic's willing to do. Oh yeah, he has Antoine Mitchell kill the guy that assaulted him. Right. 
And don't get me wrong, like, there, there's some justice there, of course. Mm-hmm. But the way he goes about it, it's like, you're willing, it, it's still murder. Yeah, It is it still is. first degree fucking pre-calculated, like, you know, it, it's murder. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, regardless of, like, in Vic's mind, he, has, he had every reason to kill Terry Crowley. Yeah. They had every reason to, to kill Armadillo. This is still murder. Uh, and 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 the, and the difference is that, you know, Acevedo didn't have the guts to do it himself because he could have pulled the trigger on the guy. He could have, yeah, you're right. You know? um, so yeah, I mean, the way he goes about it, it, like this is really that moment where you see that he has either he either always was or he has become just as bad as Vic. Yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, this is just me speaking, having not seen the entire show. I don't think someone like Acevedo, though, could ever really come to that understanding. Like, I, and, and if he does on a subconscious level, then I think that really burns him up. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't classify Acevedo as a... I, I don't know. I, that, anything I'm going to say there, I'd consider to be a spoiler, even mm-hmm. if it's mine or so. Yeah, I just won't go into that, but but yeah, I can agree with that. It's probably Antoine Mitchell for me, um, but Acevedo is right there. Yeah, and, and I mean obviously he's in the show a lot more than than Mitchell is. Yeah. Um. So I gotta ask you, Ace. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've seen the rest of the show. What are your predictions for what's gonna take place next? Yeah. Uh... I think that uh, IA is going to drop the whole thing with the uh, strike force. They're going to stop pursuing. And I think that uh, Shane is going to stop being such a fuck up. And I really think that they're going to kind of get on the straight and narrow. And uh, Vic's going to start a garden to kind of, you know, something that he can take his, his frustrations out on in a, in a more understanding way. Um, uh, yeah, I think that, that Lim's going to keep doing what he's doing, you know, but even better. Uh, and... Uh, and, and yeah, Claudette, she's going to be the captain, and, and everything's going to be all groovy. They're going to get the crime rate down to like zero in Farmington. That's my kind of my prediction there. Well, the power of positivity. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, man, um, yeah, I have no idea who is going to be the, uh, the, the the captain for one thing. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be somebody in the department. I don't see how or who, so I'm assuming they're going to get somebody else new uh, to come in and fill that role. Um, I think that it it feels like season five is going to bring a lot of things to light that maybe the Strike Force team thought was good and done. Like the way that this season ends just does not bode well for any one of them. Um. I have no idea what happens with with Ace of Ada. I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, f- from where I'm sitting, he literally and metaphorically got away with murder, you know. Yeah. And, and he's, I mean, he's playing the political game to a T. Um, so I, I don't know what happens with him. I, I guess he continues on with the, you know his political uh, intrigue. And uh, I'm pretty sure that when we pick up. Season five, Danny's going to be better, you know. Her, her you know, gunshot wound is going to be all right. Uh, yeah, I really don't know what else to to kind of assume. I am still kind of – there's always going to be the little bug in the back of my head that's worried about Dutch. Uh, I mean, 
I don't care how how much into your job you are. You don't go around strangling small <laughs> animals. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, that's kind of what I have right now. I, I'm curious to see how how Vic is going to eventually come to understand or learn that hey, you're being investigated by uh, Internal Affairs and have been and have been for a while. And I mean, I assume that he's probably going to find out through the uh, through the CI, um, the one that is trying to play double agent. Uh, if I had to guess, I assume that he maybe finds out through her. Um, but yeah, like the the shit is is hitting the fan. I, and poor fucking Lim, uh, I don't know what the fuck he does because if anyone deserves a break, it's him. Right. So, yeah. Well, I I don't consider it a spoiler to tell you that. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is about to enter the picture. Um, Joe, without spoiling anything, what do you think about his role in the show? Do you, like, I know you weren't really a fan of Glenn Close, Anthony Anderson. Forrest Whitaker, is he doing it for you? So, and here's the thing. I liked a lot of Glenn Close's scenes, but there were some where I was not in love with her. But I, I just didn't like the choice of Anthony Anderson. Um, I think Forrest Whitaker really does a good job with the role he's given. It's my favorite role of his. It's, yeah. yeah. And I, I love a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's good. Um, but, yeah. I, I don't want to, I hate to spoil anything. Have you seen, um, this is so random, but you haven't seen Andor, have you? No, I haven't started that. Okay. Hmm. So. Yeah, random. Uh, you haven't seen it either? No. Okay. All right. Well, I'm out of my depth here. Uh, do you guys got any, any other thoughts on the show before we wrap it up? Normally, I have a great idea. Like, I have a great feel for what the timer is over there. I couldn't begin to fucking tell you tonight. <laughs> I feel like we maybe have been in here forever. <laughs> it um, could be Tuesday. I want to ask Ace a couple couple things. Okay. I, you know the game Mary Fuck, Kill. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So I want you to kind of play that okay. with the main cast that's up there. Glenn Close is gone, so kind of keep it to the uh, the top two thirds there or whatever. Okay. All right. So name somebody that's gonna die. I'm just curious. So looking at what we have left. So. Okay. Um, and you're only taking Rolling off. Well, Anthony Anderson's out of play for yeah. the moment. So, so yeah, I, I'm taking off. I'm taking off Monica, Antoine, Tavon, uh, and, and honestly, I, I don't. I mean, feel free to say or not say anything for for this statement, but I I I don't know if we're going to see any more uh, any more army come back. Uh, army does not come back. Okay, yeah, just stick yeah. with this. Okay. Besides the ones we've kind of mentioned. If there's a useless cameo in this show, it's him. Mm. Like, Army was okay. Yeah. But, like, he just didn't really have an arc. Like, he yeah. was just there to kind of, I guess, like, have someone have to fucking put up with Shane all day. <laughs> you know? But, like, yeah, the way his arc goes is just yeah. kind of, I don't know. He, he wasn't a bad character, but he just, you could clearly tell he's nowhere near as well written as anybody on this yeah, there's list. there's no impact there. Yeah. So pick somebody that gets killed. Man, I hate this, but I uh, I'm worried about Lim. Really, I, I like Lim a lot, but man, I yeah, I am worried. And 
The only thing that would hurt more if Lem dies would be a fucking shame has anything to do with the goddamn. Mm-hmm. All right. So pick two to hook up, get together, get married, something along those lines. To each other or just like in general? To each other. To each other. And this, none of this shit may even happen. Okay, Everybody yeah. may live happily ever after like your original prediction a minute ago. Oh, well. Man, um, there's a couple of ladies in there. You know, I'm gonna circle back to uh, to a season one fling. I'm gonna try uh, Dutch and Danny. Oh, okay. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I was just curious. Yep. Just yep. wanted to see what you would think. And, and you know, the thing is, like, they really fucked with us because when they started playing the ads for season five before it came out the poster is it's actually in the blu-ray set it's vic with the handcuffs on it's where he's like holding up the handcuff mm-hmm. or whatever and you really can't see what the other end of it's attached to and like we all were thinking season five was it like that, that was gonna be the last season yeah because they hadn't announced and like as you know now, today, there's three <laughs> fucking seasons left. But, like, we were all like, whoa, shit, like, season five is going to be it. But, like, um, there's going to be times during season five where you're going to be like, how are there two more seasons? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm so excited to see, like, what the things that are going to happen soon. So. Oh, same. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really hyped. I'm super curious to see how this thing plays out. Uh, and and kind of like what you just said, I don't know how they squeeze three more seasons out of this show. Um, I'm assuming by how much you guys love this show in its entirety that these last three seasons don't feel like it's dragging its tail trying to get there. So, I will tell you that six is my least favorite season. Okay. I don't dislike it, but when I watch... I, I'm, when I watch back through it, I'm going to be on my phone. I'm going to tell you now. Uh, mm. Just because I, I just don't love it. I I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. It's good, but it's my least favorite. Um, and I think a lot of that's the pacing. Okay. Um, um, if you could pick somebody from the list to have, like, a, a happy ending, like, what, who would you pick? If you, could, if you could pick someone. Not that you think they will, but oh. you want them to. There's so many that I that I, I want to have a good ending here. Um, man, it's it's honestly like a three way tie between Acevedo, Acevedo, Acevedo. How'd you know? <laughs> Don't forget Shane. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Acevedo, Shane, and and and, and Mara. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's close between Lim, Dutch, and Claudette, like, in terms of, like, yeah. who I would want to see have, you know, a, a happy ending. Um, if I really had to shave it down, I, I, I suppose I, I would have to take Lim off because, I mean, even though he's the moral backbone of the strike team, that's like saying, you know, you're, you're the nicest person in hell, you know. like okay. he's, uh, You're the nicest guy in the Sinister Six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, it had to be either Claudette or Dutch. Well, I think I think that's uh, I think that's a wrap. I think we can wrap it on up on that. 
unless you either one of you gentlemen have something else. Nope, I can't wait for him to finish though. Oh God, same. <laughs> I'm about to get some messages. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know your your silence your silence from both of you is deafening for me. Like, yeah, uh, it's a little disconcerting, but you know we'll we'll see what happens. We definitely will. You uh, will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you will I know sure. what happens. <laughs> uh, well, this has been part one of the shield, everybody. Uh, we are going to come back, I don't know, in three, four weeks, something like that. Uh, and we will do whenever we can manage to do it. And we are going to get the back half done, uh, five, six, and seven. And I have a feeling like it may take a similar amount of time. Uh, once again, I have no idea how long we've been sitting here because... Uh, you can't really tell on the video, but this room is completely sealed, and you cannot see anything outside at all. So uh, there's no telling what time of day it even is. Uh, so uh, I want to thank you guys both for, for joining me. Uh, we got some very interesting stuff going on Superhero Homies. Uh, and uh, you should definitely join us next week uh, for the uh, review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny right here. Oh, 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 oh,